Come on. They're right there. Let's go. Move, 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 move. This episode of Choices Not Chances podcast is sponsored by Louisiana Gun Shop. Located on Highway 90 West in Broussard, Louisiana, just south of Lafayette. For more information, stay tuned at the end of this episode. This is Choices Not Chances podcast with Ryan and Matt. I'm your co-host, Matthew Charette. Sitting next to me is Ryan Rogers. Ryan? Hey guys, welcome back. And before we get started, like always, if you see something in this episode that resonates within you or you think that needs to be shared information, push it out. Don't be selfish with it. Uh, today we've got a special guest, one of my good buddies, somebody who's been a, you know, a friend and a mentor to me for the last 10 years at least, or seven, eight years at least. Uh, everything from school to um, garage talks to uh, economic stock market uh, life in general and and finding purpose. So today I'm going to bring you Tommy Williams. Uh, Tommy Williams has had a litany of things that he's done. Doctor Tommy Williams, and um, I kind of followed in his path a little bit with college after I get out because I was reeling about what you know purpose and this and that, and he'd helped me with that. And then we just kind of became good friends, both at the Wounded Warrior Battalion around the same time, and. Um, yeah, so we're going to have him on today and kind of pick his brain about different things across the world. Tommy, I know that uh, we've been trying to do this for a minute, and I uh, appreciate you coming out. Yeah, absolutely. Glad to be here. Yeah, man. So uh, to get started, usually in the first couple of minutes, I like to ask a couple like pointed questions. I'm writing another book, writing it on leadership. Uh, where do you come from? Let's start there. And like, I want to know the family dynamic as far as siblings, parents, uh, you know, one parent, two parents in the house. Yeah. Uh, and then, uh, and then the culture in which you grew up. Yeah, for sure. <clears throat> so I guess uh, basically, uh, I grew up in Canada, right? Uh, I was born in a small place called Oxbow, Saskatchewan. That's the province in Canada. I don't even know how many people are there. Maybe like two thousand, something like that. <clears throat> Excuse me. But for the most part, my hometown I'd probably call Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, which is the biggest uh, city in the prairies. Right? Uh, mm-hmm. Province is huge. Bigger than Texas, but, you know, probably has maybe one, one and a half million people in the whole province, right? Mm. Uh, I grew up a uh, pretty normal life, right? My parents, uh, they ended up getting divorced after uh, I was out of the house, but had both parents, got two sisters, both are younger than me. Um, you know, played a lot of hockey, did a lot of sports when I was a kid, uh, was in the Boy Scouts, did a lot of stuff, and when I say Boy Scouts, I mean Canadian Boy Scouts, where we were camping in uh, nylon tents 12 months of the year, right? So we've been in, like, negative 40 degrees Celsius in a nylon tent, <laughs> freezing the old schnuts off <laughs> as a kid, uh, trying to figure out how you, how to get a stove fired up so you can eat something that's not raw, right, like pancakes. Uh, not always the best, but, uh, you know, did stuff like that. So did a lot of outdoor stuff, a lot of fishing. Didn't do much hunting. Uh, which is, you know, pretty big, big up there too. Mm-hmm. Uh, for the most part, you know, we'd stalk animals and things like that, but I never really had any, had any, uh, gun time on them or, you know, dressing and things like that. So, uh, did all that, uh, ended up graduating high school. And so it's kind of interesting the uh, economy at the time in Canada where I grew up, it was right in the middle of the prairies. Uh, it's considered the West, but the, it's like how Texas is the West. Well, that's kind mm-hmm. of the central part of the country. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, uh, in Saskatchewan, it's the same, just North. And um, the there's a lot of uh, 
economic turmoil, I guess you could say. So a lot of people were leaving Saskatchewan. They were going to either either coast. They were going to British Columbia, Alberta, on the uh, on the left side, or or Manitoba and Ontario on the right side. Mm-hmm. And so we were kind of caught in there. And to kind of gauge how bad it was, you could buy a. Uh, uh, acre of land for $50 Canadian back in the 90s uh, when I left, right? So pretty big deal. So we were there. Um, right after I graduated high school, I decided, you know, I was going to take some, uh, you know, maybe go to college or whatnot because my girlfriend at the time, who's now my wife, uh, didn't want me joining the military. And then I went out to the West Coast, started going to college out there, and ended up joining the reserves. So I was in the Canadian military uh, in a unit called Seaforth Highlanders of Canada, which is a Highland unit, right? So we wore kilts and stuff like that for our dress uniform. Uh, it was an inf- infantry unit, which I ended up, you know, again, things are different there. Like fighting kilts? Well, so like here's the thing. So the dudes, the dudes that were like my mentors, they, you know, um, a couple of them, I guess it would be like the guys that were mentoring me, the guys above them, they were in Italy fighting in the mountains in kilts and their wool nice. kilts, right? So like legit... Like, these dudes are hard as woodpecker lips. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Uh, just crazy s- stuff coming out of them. Um, so, yeah, they absolutely used to So, do but it. your dress uniforms are still kilts. So, our okay. dress uniforms are still kilts. Like, uh, you know, things have changed since, you know, everybody went to Marpad or some sort of digital uh, camouflage. Back in the day, it was just olive drab is what we were wearing at the time mm-hmm. in black boots. Uh, and then with us, because it was a Highland unit, instead of wearing a beret, uh, we wore a Balmoral, right, with your cat badge on it and stuff like that. So, there's little differences there, but... Um, for the most part, you know, our sister unit, I think, was the um, Black Watch out of uh, the UK. And if you know the the, the dudes that stand uh, guard for the uh, the Queen and stuff like that, they were the Busbies, mm-hmm. the, the Grand Poobah hats, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, so that's our sister unit over there. But anyway, did that for a couple of years. I think I probably had like maybe two and a half years active time. I think eight years on the books uh, total. And then uh, my wife... Girlfriend at the time was in uh, nursing school, and so what they were doing, and again the economy, right? Like everybody talks about how now, good what, Canada is and what stuff. What was what was the what was the issue with the economy? So just uh, some of its economic downturn, but then other things, right? Like in the military, there um, you were we were kind of like put out to pasture, right? We didn't have a training budget, we didn't have mm-hmm. there wasn't a lot of stuff. So the only way you were like gonna go do anything is if you got on UN missions at the time. And so we'd get spun up for that. And so, like, I was spun up to go into uh, Bosnia and Herzegovina, you know, back in the day. That would have been, like, 93, 94, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and, again, you know, my brain's a little off some days, and that's so far far in the past. You know, mm-hmm. I don't remember exactly. Mm-hmm. But we were spun up to go into that. But then the um, the budget fell through for it. So the units, you know, the units that were training to go, they had uh, money for training, but they didn't have money to ship them and do all this other stuff. So I caught wind of that and was like, let me go permanent personnel. That way I'm not doing all the bullshit training, you know what I mean? And ended up getting a gravy job and kind of hung out for a couple months just doing nothing really, Mm -hmm. um, making a paycheck, uh, which was good. But the economy at the time, so just just weird things, right? Like Canada, so my wife's a nurse. She was going through nursing school at the time. When uh, people were graduating, what they would do is they would take you on part-time, right? And so the... the, um, Healthcare system there is pretty socialist. Like, you can't just go and open up your own practice and charge cash. Mm-hmm. You have to use insurance. Like, it's it's mandatory, mm-hmm. right? So even now, now there's doctors even today are trying to open up cash practices there, and they're not allowed. They're getting shut down by the government. So back then, 
you'd graduate and then they'd be like, oh, well, we'll take you on part-time. So rather than hire like two full-time nurses, they'd hire like six part-time nurses, right? So now think about that. You're coming out of school, you've got student loans, you're trying to raise a family or start a family and do mm-hmm. all that stuff. And you can't, hang on one second. <coughs> Excuse me. And, and so you can't. So we were like, well, crap, what do you want to do? So we decided to come down to the States and just try it out. So we like loaded up a car, and, and what year are we in? This is 1996. Uh, 96. 96, okay. 96, right? So in 1996, so my wife, you know, ends up graduating, writes her boards because, you, you know, every uh, state has a different board. Mm-hmm. So she wrote some generic ones, and we ended up driving down through, uh, we came down through Montana, uh, went through Utah, Colorado, uh, New Mexico, and then Texas. And yeah. we were putting out resumes and doing interviews the whole way down, right? And we weren't sure what the, like we came down just, with no, no plan, no timeline, just, hey, get down to Texas, turn around. If somebody offers us a job, we'll figure it out. Yeah, yeah. And so it came down to New Mexico and Texas, and uh, we ended up getting, she, she, we decided on the one in Houston. Mm-hmm. So then we, like, drove back to the States, loaded up a U-Haul, and, uh, like, two, three days later, drove down to Texas. And when I say drove, I mean straight. So I had the smallest <laughs> U-Haul you could get. Getting after it. Whatever it was, right? And I had a little car hauler, like the one that it only does the front axle, dolly. Yeah. Well, U-Haul, of course, they hook me up the right way, right? And they gave me one that was broken. So I'm sitting there, I'm going, so I get all the extra insurance. I'm like, man, I hope it totals my car. Like, I'm going to get a freebie. Like, you know, it's going to rip my car right off thing. I ain't lying, dude. We drove, we drove and I say straight. And it's like 4,400 kilometers. I never did the math on that for what, like 26, 2,700 miles would be my guess, right? We drove it straight. And when I say straight, I mean not stopping for gas. And I think we had one, we stopped at Subway or some, some shit one time. And most of the time, I'm, I'm the one driving, right? Mm-hmm. And so <clears throat> I've got my wife and my daughter laid out in the back of the U-Haul, like the, the roll-up door. We put a mattress down and they're like snoozing and, you know, Every couple of hours, I'd let them out, <laughs> let them out, <laughs> let them out. You know, my wife would switch and stuff. And uh, anyway, it was really funny. Well, the, with the car, the uh, one of the uh, on the dolly on the car dolly, one of the ramps, the bolts were loose, and so it started sagging and it was sparking, oh, and I boy. mean sparking hard, right? So like I'm driving <laughs> and everybody's coming up beside me. It looked like something from like. Planes, trains, and automobiles, right? Like, <laughs> you're going the wrong way. And they're like, your car is on fire, right? And I'm like, thanks, bro. Like, Appreciate it. <laughs> I know. I'm hoping it gets ripped off and I get a new car. Like, you hauls by, you know, going to hook me up. So we're driving. And it's just the most funniest thing. Well, long story short, we get to Houston, and the ramp was no crap about a foot shorter than the other one. It had, like, ground it down about a foot. And it had no uh, braces on the side because it had worn out. So I've got to pull my car off the Cuckoo. dolly. And I just totally, like, right-angled that ramp. And I'm like, oh, that's hilarious, right? Anyway, I turn it in, and they're looking at me, and I'm like, what do you want me to do, dude? You gave it to me like that. Like, should have somebody with a wrench tighten that stuff up. Uh, so it's pretty funny. <laughs> so anyway, we end up getting down to Texas, and uh, that was 96. And then uh, I immediately, probably within about three months, I went down to the recruiter. I was trying to get into the to the Army, actually, because I had been in the Army. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And they told me, absolutely no way, son. Like, you are a foreign citizen, foreign service, get bent, right? And I'm like, all right. So then uh, I, I was down there on a trade NAFTA visa, right? And so my wife... Wait, explain that. So that? trade NAFTA, that was back in the day. That was... Uh, f- so from um, Canada, America, and Mexico, yep. if you specialized in something, in a trade, right? My wife was a nurse. You could get a no-questions-asked visa if they were... It was like a hot fill for that 
that job, Check. right? So they were so hurting for nurses in America. That's why we came down. And um, so I was on a trade dependent visa, meaning I couldn't work, right? So I had a TD visa. She had a you know trade NAFTA visa, so she's allowed to work, and we had to renew it every year, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. And so we're living in Texas. Well, we got to go to the border, leave, and come back in to renew it every year. So we drive down to Brownsville, Mexico. So funny story down there. We we drive down there to renew it. You have to leave the country. So we're like not freaking out, but like, man, if they if they deny this or anything, right. we're stuck in Mexico. Like we're not even in Canada. Yeah. Right. So we had driven down there. <laughs> so dicey. I had this dude, I had this grand plan, right? I'm like, okay, we live in Houston. I think it was four and a half hours. I'm not positive on that. But it's like, about but, that. Yeah. So I'm like, four and a half hours, let's go. I'm like, we're getting up, we're getting up at two in the morning. We're gonna be there by six. There's not gonna be a line, no nothing, right? So we go flying down there, <laughs> go into Mexico, immediately turn around, come back in. It takes about thirty minutes, I think, to go through the whole thing park in the thing there's barely any cars in the parking lot right i'm like yes walk up to the doors i open the doors and that's the back of the line <laughs> so it's like a hundred people deep and they're <laughs> they're in there with their their suitcases all the worldly belongings just trying to make it through right and i'm like oh my god like we're gonna we're gonna have to get a hotel yeah. or something like i don't maybe we'll see in the parking lot i'm like freaking out because i did not see this coming at all right <laughs> and so i'm sitting there and i'm talking to my wife and we had our daughter with it i'm like i don't know what you're about and all of a sudden i hear this like hey hey you and i'm like there's no way he's talking to me and i like lean out across the line and i see this dude going yeah you like come here and i'm like come here. i'm canadian dude i don't skip the line you know, yeah. I'm still, I mean, I'm, I'm like, I'm still brand new Canadian. Like, I'm apologizing to everybody as well. Oh, sorry, sorry, you know, walking up. <laughs> I get up to the line, and the first thing I say to this guy is like, hey, man, I mean, I can I can wait, you know, just trying to do the polite thing. And he's like, and this is, you know, this is like eye-opening to me as a Canadian. He's like, listen, man, they were here yesterday. They were here the day before. They're going to be here tomorrow and the next day and the next oh. day. They're like, he goes, they're You're new. It's not even that I'm new. It's that they don't have, like, that's their, it's like winning the lottery. They're trying to, you know, make it into the country, but they have no, there's no reason for them to be there. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? But they don't have anything else to do in the daytime, right? They're not working. They're not doing this. They're hoping. They're hoping. Yeah. They're praying that they can make it up there and Get somebody will just cut them, cut them a break, right? And so that's what I'm getting at. So it's the same people in that line. He probably, he's probably processed them and denied everybody that's already yeah, in that yeah, line, yeah, You know yeah, what I mean? yeah, yeah. So I get up there and all of a sudden it's like, oh, hey, where are you from? You know, and I'm like, oh, we're Canadian. Oh, we don't get Canadians. You know, so there's now there's like three dudes <laughs> just like stamping stuff and they're like flying. Oh, yeah. Hey, signing this. Dude, I was in and out of there in like 10 minutes. Nice. You know what I mean? I'm like, oh, my God, this is oh, yeah, America, you know, like <laughs> turn around. And now I'm getting like I'm going to get mugged on the way out of there. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, all of them are looking and at was, you. Yeah, they're all looking at, oh, it's because he's white. It's no, dude, it's, that has nothing to do with it. You know what I mean? But, yeah. I'm just giggling. So we hopped in the car and go. But uh, yeah, that was like 19. That w would have been probably 90, 98, I think, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, was when we went to renew that. So pretty funny story. But So, okay, so you come back from that. How did you get in the Marine Corps? So another great story, right? So, um, so <clears throat> you know, we, we came down in 96, tried to join right out the get-go. Couldn't do it. Was on a trade-dependent visa, right? So there, I can't work. Right. And so I'm like, just, you know, I'm a stay at home dad at that point, which was literally driving me nuts. You know, it was yeah. my mid 20s. I think it was 20, 23, 24 at the time. And I was just like, oh my God, like, I need to do something. This is ridiculous. You know, my wife's the breadwinner. Like, this can't, we can't have this. It's not the traditional uh, family. No, yeah, right. And so, you know, I'm super frustrated. Anyway, so what I did in the, uh, to pass the time was I started, I got really big. I was big into the martial arts before I came down to, um, 
Okay, but that's what I was doing in Canada. So I came oh, that's, down. That's kind of something we glossed over there. Yeah, because you taught that in the I did. Canadian military, right? Not in the Canadian military, no. Oh, so okay. I ran pretty much while I was in Canada. I was like um, the number two guy at uh, one or two different dojos. But anyway, we moved down to America, and uh, I started training with with uh, that. That's why one of the reasons why we chose Houston over New Mexico is because we knew for a fact the art that I trained in. Was that, there that there was some legit dudes there? What was right? it? It was Bujinkan. That's what mm-hmm. they call it, right? Budo Taijutsu. So it's a Japanese system. You know, we'll get into that in a second. But anyway, so uh, while we're in Houston, I'm I'm teaching martial arts, right? That's what I'm doing. I'm not making any money at it. I'm just helping out, doing this, doing that, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, one of the dudes uh, was a student of one of my other buddies, and so we were always like grouped together, right? Like I would go guest instruct at my buddy's dojo. He'd come over to mine. So regardless of who the students are, we're, we're all kind of like a group. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And uh, this dude was a Marine, and he was a recon Marine, right? And so this is after 9-11 now. And uh, he'd gotten a BCD. Out, he got, uh, I can't even remember the dude's name, but he got uh, BCD out of the Marine Corps, and it was for like a drinking problem at the time, right? And I think he'd been in for six years. They BCD'd him. Then they recalled him. Mm-hmm. They recalled him after 9-11, and he's like, Oh, you want me to come back? Like, okay, go ahead. Uh, we're going to get rid of that BCD. Like, he had all these conditions, right? You're going to do that. You're going to reimburse me. So he ended up having a, uh, he had torsion on his testicle, mm-hmm. right? So while he was in the Marine Corps, imagine this, right? Going to the dock, and you're like, man, I'm hurting. Like, what the crap? Oh, change your socks, Motrin, hydrate, whatever. <laughs> and so now he's, like, in so much pain all the time, he starts hitting the bottle. Yeah. Right? Starts hitting the bottle, gets develops a drinking problem, gets kicked out of it because of his drinking problem, but the real concern is is whatever is going on with him medically so he gets out after getting out he's out for like a week or two goes to the hospital they're like oh you got a torsion testicle we'll take care of that take care of it and he now he's got a big smile on his face and quits drinking do you know what i mean like (laughs) just a big old kick in the nuts from the marine corps again but anyway so he had all these conditions like you need to do this and you do that i'm like man that's great and he's like bro if you want to get in the military like you better head head on down to meps because now's your time and no shit i was like really yeah all right i'll check it don't look into that Next day, I went down to MEPS. 25 days later, I was at boot camp. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, I was like, oh, yeah, hell yeah. Blue so, ice, baby, we can use you. Yeah. So, <laughs> wait, wait, your, 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 um, your visa didn't... I was, on a, I was on a green card at the time. I joined the Marine Corps on a green card. No, I mean, I thought you had a no... no. So, I had a trade... I, I was on a visa, trade NAFTA, trade dependent visa, back in 96 when we first got here. Uh-huh. That probably took like three or four years, and we find we got green cards. Okay. So once we had the green cards, you're good. I was good, right? Um, and then what? And then there's a nationalization process through the Marine Corps, right? Or no? So yeah, Bush hooked it, hooked that up. Yeah, um, yeah. Oh, we can get into that in a second. But anyway, okay. so I joined the I joined the Marine Corps. Mind you, I'm now 29 years old. Yeah. Right. I turned 30 at boot camp, so I'm 29 years old. I'm going in there. I'm like, I got this. This is. I've already done this once, right? And for the most part. The Canadian boot camp and the American boot camp or Marine Corps boot camp, they were very similar in some ways. In other ways, absolutely not. And I will tell you this. Canadian military, they treat you like an adult, right? So, mm-hmm. like, the first couple of weeks, you're playing some fuck-fuck games like everybody does, right? But after a certain po- po- uh, point, they just give you what your taskers are, and they expect you to be a man or a woman and get through that, mm-hmm, right? So, mm-hmm. hey, these are the uniforms you're wearing for tomorrow. Make sure they're ready. We're going to the range, make sure your gun's good. Like, you know, they give you a little bit of responsibility. Not so much in the Marine Corps, right? Right. Everything's spoon-fed, ABCs, whatever. And you have that direct handler on there. So that was a real 
issue for me when I joined the Marine Corps. And mind you, I wasn't a poolie, right? So I didn't know you had to talk in the third person. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So prime example, we get picked up in forming. <laughs> we get picked up in forming. I don't know you're not allowed to talk in the chow hall. Do you know what I mean? So mm-hmm. I'm sitting there mowing down like, hey, fellas, where are you all from? You know, and they're, like, <laughs> they're like, don't make eye contact with me. Like, like they're shoving me off. Like, what, what the fuck? Like, weak-ass bitches. You know, like, I didn't know what was going on. But uh, funny story, the dude that picked me up in forming turned out to be a first sergeant for a unit I, I uh, supported later on. We can get into that. But Okay. So anyway, I'm in forming. We get picked up. I'm literally, like, in the chow hall just mowing down whatever I want. I'm like chugging water, like I'm on my own schedule to go to the bathroom. You know, I'm like, oh, I gotta go to the bathroom. Like, okay. And people don't realize, like, some of the things you gotta do in the Marine Corps, right? <laughs> so that first night we got picked up, uh, we're standing there, and, you know, everybody's all now, you know, everybody's getting yelled at and every, get in line, run, hurry, you know, all this stuff, just trying to get every, you know, the anxiety up in the room. So we're standing there, and they're showing us how to make our racks, right, the first night we get there. So they're like sheet and blankets and all this crap. You know, we get the the uh, scurvy blankets from the Indians, you know, mm-hmm. the, yeah. you know, the ones that are like smallpox blankets. Smallpox blankets, yeah. <laughs> that have never been washed, you know. Um, so we're sitting there, but we're all standing there in flip-flops and our tidy whities That's it. No shirts, no pants, no nothing. And so I'm sitting there, and I'm like, man, i got to go to the bathroom. Like, this is, this is not good, right? So I, I'm like, I don't even know the protocol for this. So I put my hand up, right? And, <laughs> and my, my my senior drill instructor like looks at me. I was like, what the fuck is this dude want? And you're probably you know? older than him, right? I was I was probably, yeah, I probably was older probably than him. probably a couple of years older than So him. there was one drill instructor the same age as me. Everybody else was like two to three to four years younger. And it wasn't actually my senior. It was this other dude. So he's like, looks at me. He's like, yeah, what do you want? I'm like, um, I need to use a bathroom, please. Just like that, right? Like, I need to use a bathroom, please. <laughs> And he looks at me like I got a dick growing on my forehead, right? And I'm like, so he's like, just continues on with his conversation, right? And he's like, try again. And I'm like, so I'm thinking about it. I'm like looking around and everybody doesn't want to make eye contact with me, you know? Yeah. And I'm like, what the fuck? Like, maybe maybe I got to do the sir sandwich. So I put my hand back up and he's like, what is it? I'm like, sir, I need to use the bathroom, please, sir. And he's like, fuck no. And so I'm sitting there and I'm like, all right, motherfucker, I got you. So I'm sitting there. Let her go about two more minutes. <clears throat> and I put my hand up. And he's like, what do you want? And I'm like, if you don't let me go to the bathroom, I'm going to piss all over myself right here. <laughs> and he's like, just makes eye contact with me. And he's like, well. And I'm like, Roger that. <laughs> <laughs> so everybody just starts backing away from me like I've got the cooties. You know what I mean? And I'm pissing all over everywhere. Just making You want to play games? Straight eye contact, right? Like, oh, this ain't my fucking first rodeo. Like, I got this. So I piss everywhere. I got this puddle. And so, you know, you, you like finish up. I'm not like touching my dick or anything. So I'm just kind of standing there. And then you get that little twitch like you're you're maybe mentally just shaking it. You know what I mean? And so I'm, I'm looking at him making eye contact the whole time. And he's just astonished, right? And he's like, and I'm like, just looking at him, like waiting for him to what now? make me do some push-ups. Or, oh, gee whiz, push-ups, you know. And he's like, well, go get the mop and, and bucket. And uh, I'm like, all right. So I go home, fucking, like, what? I got this. I got this. You know, like, if this is, anyway, long story short, what's funny about that is we literally, I kind of set the precedent, I feel like, right? Maybe not in a good way, maybe not in a bad way. But I'm talking like, you know, the last two weeks at your boot camp, you're pretty much doing drill. Mm-hmm. We're drilling in our Charlies. And this is with two weeks left. During the whole time, we'd be sitting there and they'd be like, hey, who needs to go to the bathroom? And like three or four dudes would put up their hand and they'd be like, 
oh, we, we don't got time for the bathroom. And then they'd all have a shitty grin on their face, and a drill instructor would have to take them wherever we're at back to the house to change because they were all like, well, fuck it, I'm just going to pee myself. Like, what's, what's the big deal? Well, I'm just going to pee myself. Well, the, the last two weeks of boot camp, we had the uh, company commander had to come down and get on our, our drill instructors because we had dudes in Charlie's shitting themselves on the drill <laughs> Now imagine what a pain in the ass that is, because now you got to go to dry cleaning. You got to, you know, you see what I'm saying? Yeah, like, dude. so these drill instructors are getting mad. Like, oh yeah, you, you. Well, you started the game. Yeah. You started the game. We're just playing it, bro. Yeah. Like, I mean, anyway, it's really funny to me to just see that. Like, I always had a big, little, little grin on my face for that. But anyway, so I joined there. Uh, <laughs> turned thirty. I was a West Coast Marine, so going up the Reaper, I'll never forget. It. I turned thirty going up the Reaper, and there's a major. I don't even know who he was uh, uh, to me at the time. But we were having a little chat, as much as you can chat with somebody, right? right while, while you're Reaper. a recruit, while you're a recruit, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he turned, he heard that I turned thirty. And he goes, "Holy crap, dude!" Like, so, you know, we had a little convo and stuff like that. But then, that was it. So, um, pretty funny, pretty funny story. Um, yeah. You know, I joined, I joined Open Contract. Um, I, I was in the infantry in Canada. I tried to do that again. They told me there wasn't anything available. At least that's what my recruiter told me, right? And you got to remember, my recruiter is the same age as I am, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and I'm not—I hadn't signed on the dotted line yet, so I'm like, not being the nicest person to them, right? Like, you're not going to treat me like a fucking recruit, bro, mm -hmm. you know? And so we get get into some stuff. Well, long story short, went in open contract, told me he'd hook me up with infantry as soon as something comes out. I get my orders. I'm supposed to be a diesel mechanic, um, which so now I'm like, what the crap? Kind of settled with that, whatever. But what's funny is there was three Williams when I went to MCT, right? Three Williams. They screwed up our orders. So I was supposed to be a mechanic. One was supposed to be a radio operator. One was supposed to be a, a motor T operator. Mm -hmm. And they screwed up the orders. And so, and I don't mean the orders. I mean the plane tickets, oh. right? So I was flying to 29 Palms. Somebody else was coming to Lejeune, whatever. And they were actually, this is how, this is how you know the Marine Corps is just screwed up, right? In some regards is that they, logistically it was going to be easier for them to change my orders than it was to be able to change my plane ticket. Yeah. And I'm like, absolutely not, bro. Like, so my drone structure is just trying, well, don't worry about it, dude. You're just going to be a radio operator. I'm like, no. Like, I don't want to be a mechanic either, but I'd already settled on that. I and definitely just, don't want to do radios. Yeah, well, I mean, I would, have been, I would have been fine doing it. But what I'm getting at is, is you, you don't give it to me in writing and then rescind that and tell me just to suck it up. Like, I knew that from the Canadian military. You know what uh -huh, I'm saying? Uh -huh. Um. And so I was like, man, this is this is garbage. So I had to go. I went and talked to some people, and then I then I was kind of livid. Like, dude, this is this is ridiculous. Like, um, and, you know, and I'd already gotten it, kind of made a name for myself at another point because when I first checked into MCT, I went over and told them that I was supposed to be there for for uh, ITB, and they're like, what are you talking about, dude? You, you've got. I'm like, no, fam. Like, check this out. Like, my recruiter straight lied to me, and I'm like, just talking just like that because it's true, right? So I'm speaking the truth. So you have some Marines that are like. Yeah, dude. Yeah, you're totally getting screwed. Like, hang on. And they're trying to, like, the dudes that look after dudes, they're trying to take care of you. Mm -hmm. um, and so they gave me the option. They're like, look, man, we can't get you into this class. But if you want to stay here and stay for, like, it was like three to six weeks till the next class formed up, we'll put you in form and you can go, like, paint shit on base or whatever they have the the recruits guards waiting. Yeah, 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 guards, right? Uh, do that or you can go. And I'm like, you know what? I got to, because I had a family at the time. I'm like, I got to go. Uh, so then. Ended up doing MCT, ended up going to the fleet, uh, graduated top of my class as a uh, motor T-Mech. In fact, I never got one question wrong on any test, but I graduated with a 99.96% average as a mechanic. But I never got one wrong, ever. 
So riddle me that. Like, mm. there's got to be something in the Matrix that they have because it's all digital, right? Uh, so I was supposed to get choice in my orders. Uh, I had a family. They were still living in Houston. I was going to pick, you know, East Coast, West Coast, whatever. Mm-hmm. The guy that was in charge of my platoon, the staff sergeant, um, was just a spineless piece. And uh, my whole class got sent to Okinawa, including me, who was oh, the good. top the grad, you know, top grad. Without. Uh, so I get meritorious promoted, right, to Lance Coconut. Um, and then I get uh, pushed out, out there. Now, what did you? what rank did you get out of the Canadian Army? Ooh, that's a good question, bro. Um, <laughs> so <clears throat> I hadn't even graduated boot camp, and um, I was already slotted for a court martial, uh, which is a well. We can get into that story if you want, but uh, I ended up being a. So it would have been like a E four, is what I would have got out uh, out as E four. So nothing in. Tr- so here we go. We'll spill the beans on this one. Um, so in Canada. <laughs> Uh, you know, I ended up joining back in whatever whatever year it was. I went to boot camp, and uh, it was, the, you know, we had we had a barracks. It, they were kind of like H H huts, right? Uh-huh, so you uh-huh. had a couple wings on them. There was a DI hallway, whatever. The drill instructors had their own building, so they had a duty guy that would come sometimes and stay overnight. But for the most part, we were on our own. So they would literally turn the breaker off, turn the power off, and we were left to our own design till morning, right? So you're sitting in there ironing, cleaning your room, you know, doing whatever you got to do. And we didn't live in a squad bay. We had, there were four-man rooms, right, uh-huh. double bunks. And we kept our weapons in there with us, right? So we had them locked and all that crap. But you get all that. And so anyway, um, we, uh, in the Canadian military, once you, you get the, it's the base, I'm going to confuse all this, but it's like the base commander's inspection. And if you pass the base commander's inspection at boot camp, you get the weekend off. And the weekend off entails you, like, imagine being on Lejeune or New River, right? You get the weekend off. Well, now you can go to the PX. You can get some pizza. You can go get some beers. You can do whatever you want, right? Mm-hmm. So it's a big deal. So we ended up passing um, uh, passing the uh, the inspection, or most of us did, I think. And so we got the weekend off. Well, my roommate at the time, one of the, uh, this is a couple weeks before that, uh, every, every night you have a different um, course senior, Right, and maybe not every night, but they'll change it every couple of days. Somebody's always getting fired, right? Just like the Corps senior for the Marine Corps. Mm-hmm. And we had this little scrawny dude. Um, can't remember his name, but he, he thought he was that guy. You know what I mean? Like probably showed up to boot camp with combat boots on and all tacked out. You know, mm-hmm. like just gung ho, right? Which isn't bad in itself, but um, he's a bit of a bitch, right? A little bit of a buddy fucker. And um, my roommate. I hear him grunting and groaning one night, right? Now imagine, we don't have any drill instructors there. Mm-hmm. So I look over at this dude, and he's he was um, he was like, uh, maybe like, uh, Canada, there's not like a lot of different ethnicities, I should you know, for the most part. But he was like, he was uh, like, ha- he was mixed. He was like half white, half black. So mm-hmm. he, he had like olive drab skin, but he's like covered in sweat, and he's holding his stomach, and he can't even talk. Like there's something wrong with him, right? And so I'm like, oh crap. So I'm like, all right. So I run and get this guy that's supposed to be in charge of us, right? Now, there's no drill instructors around. We don't have, there's no duty phone or anything. You have a, a pay phone mm. that you can call the duty with. Do you see what I'm saying? And uh, so I run over here and this dude's sleeping and I wake him up. I'm like, hey, bro, you need to get a hold of, like, get a hold of the, um, the drill instructors. I'm calling 911. And so we called 911 and had this guy. And this is in a, it's in a, uh, the base is called uh, Shiloh, Canadian Forces Base, CFB Shiloh, which is out in the middle of nowhere, right? 
I mean, it's bigger. It's probably four times the size of Lejeune landmass wise. Mm-hmm. And there's just barely any buildings there or anything like that. So they, they come, we had uh, the duty who's basically like a bunch of MPs yeah. show up and they're like, take him in their car to the hospital and they casvac, they put him on a bird Holy and flew shit. him to Winnipeg, right? Because he had a, a knot in his bowels and it was like bursting. Oh. So I mean, pretty big deal. Like life, absolutely life threatening, all this stuff. Well, this clown didn't wake up, didn't go, go wake up the drone structure or anything. So we get up the next morning and we're like one down. Like it's almost like this dude's UA, right? So I'm sitting he didn't there, even like, tell him ever. He didn't. He didn't wake up and go tell him. Oh, and man. so the drill instructor, um, you know, questions him about it, and he's like, he threw the dude threw me under the bus. He's like, no, no, Williams didn't come and wake me up. But all his roommates had heard it. You know what I mean? I'm like, what a clown. And mind you, when I went to Canadian boot camp, I was like, I'd been on my own for a year or two doing construction, and most of these dudes were straight off mama's tit. You know, they were mm-hmm. they were fresh. So you know, just this like man stuff, right? Like, dude, you're not gonna like throw me under the like that's. That's some belligerent shit. Like that's my name that you're that you're muddling, muddling up right yeah, now. Right? Yeah. So I had I had words with him about that. Well, long story short, uh, my drill instructors came up to me after and they're like, "Oh yeah, like dude, totally threw you under the bus, bro. Like that's that's garbage. Like you need to handle that. Do this, do that." And I'm like, "Okay, well, whatever. I'll let it ride for a little bit." And so um, they ended up making me the course senior for a bit, right? Well, I was a little full, a little bit of piss and vinegar, a little bit, I guess you could say. And uh, I didn't really tolerate the the young dudes. Like, I'm not your mom and I'm not your dad. Like, get your shit done, bro. Like, I'm not here to... Baby step you through this. Baby step you through this. Get it done or don't get it done. I don't care, but there's going to be re- repercussions if you don't, you know. And so anyway, they cornered me in a whiskey locker. There's three of them, and I'll never forget it because, you know, I was pretty big into martial arts at the time. And I had three dudes uh, corner me in the whiskey locker. And so two of them are standing in there. I walk in. This dude shuts the door behind him. And I started laughing, right? Like, so he's behind me, so I can't get out. So I turn around and I go behind him and I lock the door. Like, okay, clown, <laughs> you want to you want to play this? You're stuck in here with me. <laughs> long story long story short, I put two of them down. The other, the third dude went running out of the room, right? And so now everybody's like, oh crap, don't mess with Williams. You know what I mean? And the funniest part of this whole thing is, the night before I went to boot camp. Um, I had a couple buddies of mine take me out and get me hammered drunk, and so we didn't fly or anything. You get put on a bus. And then you bust to boot camp, right? <clears throat> so we go down to this. It's It was uh, right outside of University of British Columbia, UBC. There's a, a walkway you can go down. And they have this nude beach. That's like a nude sandbar. But everybody out there is like drinking or smoking weed. or You know, they're Canadian. They do whatever mm-hmm. they want um, out there. So they're <laughs> like, yeah, we'll go down here and do this. I'm like, all right, whatever. So I'm sitting there, down there boozing. And I go to take a, take a leak. And there's no ba- bathrooms down there or whatever. So you kind of go off to the side and pee in the reeds. Well, I'm walking back. And I hear this, like, I hear this, like, like, stay away from my girlfriend or something. Like, I don't even remember what it was. And this dude, and I just remember turning. And as I'm turning, there's, like, an eight-foot log swinging at my head, right? So I barely got my shoulder up. And it bounced off my shoulder, hit me in the head, and, like, KO'd me. So I wake up, and I got this dude sitting on my chest just pummeling the crap out of my face. Another guy boot-kicking me in the ribs, right? So I gain my composure. I throw this dude off me. I stand up, and I'm like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hurt you, bro. Like, I'm, like... I'm done. And so they go both go running down the beach while I go back over the fire where my buddies are at. And they're like, oh, my God, bro. Like, your face is hamburger meat. So they take me up sta- up, up to the top of the stairs. And it's, it's you know, a couple hundred stairs. It's really, you know, up on the side of a kind of a cliff. Mm-hmm. We get up there, and I just sit on the curb, and we flag down a cop. This is the day before I go to boot camp. <laughs> so they, we flag down a cop, right? He drives me to the um, emergency room that's on, on campus there. And they start doing, like, x-rays and CT scan on my face. Now, mind you, I'm kind of hammered drunk. I look like I've been beat up. 
I smell like smoke, you know, because my clothes are, you know, I've been yeah. down there or whatever. They tell me that nothing's broken or anything, but I can't even see out my one eye because it's so shut. So I show up to the bus and I go to get on the bus and I hand him my ID and this dude looks looks at me like I'm a homeless dude and what like my hair right I used to have kind of longish hair and I didn't want to give him the satisfaction of cutting it at boot camp so I've been working with my brother-in-law on a fish boat I'm like bro let, give me them dog clippers and I just like straight shagged all my hair off so it was like coming in kind of patchy <laughs> you know what I mean so I I straight up look like I don't want to say homeless dude because. You know, I had, I had pretty nasty hair, but everything else was fine. So I've got this big old shiner. My face is all busted up. My, you know, I've got a funny haircut. I smell like smoke, and I'm hungover. And I, I, I'm like, here's my orders. And I'm waiting for him to go, get the, get the crap yeah. off my bus, you know. Anyway, six-hour, eight-hour drive. I get to where I'm going. Everybody piles off the bus. And um, so there, it, it's funny. Like, you get all your gear from your unit because every reserve unit has different stuff. Mm. right so I had all my stuff issued to me and the guy that gave me my orders told me to show up in civilian attire so I'm the only guy there beat the crap up in civilian attire looks like I'm trying to just get a free ride on a bus and everybody else is in camis right and I walk in there and everybody else just does not want to make eye contact which is funny as crap right I've always found it funny that you get beat up like I got I got this shit beat out of me I looked bad but everybody's looking at you like don't mess with that guy why not? He's a pussy. Like that, he got he got beat up. You know what I mean? Like somebody clearly handled yeah, him. Right. That's exactly what I'm saying. But everybody's like, "Oh, don't mess with that guy." Like obviously he fights. You know? Yeah. yeah. yeah but it, maybe not very well. Yeah. It didn't appear <laughs> right. to be well. So anyway, we get to boot camp. I'm waiting for him to kick me out. They they you know they're all giggling. Um, the story makes it around anyway. They they called me Speedbag was my nickname going through Canadian boot camp right uh, Private Speedbag, and so anyway. Um, What's funny is we get onto a range one night. We're doing a night shoot, and we got some time to kill. So my drill instructors are up there, like, throwing each other around and doing this because they were into some martial art. And then uh, my OIC, who was a female at the time, goes, hey, I think Williams knows martial arts because it was I, like a dumbass. I'd put it on my my uh, bio sheet, right? And so I'm like, oh, crap. So they're all like, yeah, right, like, speed bag, whatever. So I get up there, and uh, we're do- just doing a bunch of what ifs, and I start tossing these dudes around. And they were like, oh, my God, bro, like, How'd you get beat up? And I'm like, well, that's a different story. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> hammered drunk, you know, Long foot, to the eight, face. eight foot club over the back of the dome. Anyway, so it was pretty, pretty interesting to, uh, to play into that. So long story short, the guy that buddy screw, screwed me over, right? Um, we, we end up going out, we end up drinking. Well, we tell this dude, like you're blackballed, bro. Like you're, you're irresponsible. Don't hang out with us. Well, he goes and starts whining to some other dudes that were in the bar. So I go into the bathroom at this bar and I, I get cornered by a couple dudes and they're like, like stop picking on this dude or whatever. And I'm looking at them like, shut your mouths. Like you don't know the story. Like just just leave it, whatever, right? So it kind of infuriated me. Well, we get back to the barracks and I'll never forget. I'm wearing flip-flops, shorts, and it was cold. So I had like one of the blankets over my shoulders and I go and I'm like getting something out of the, out of the, uh, the uh, soda mess or something. And this dude comes over. And he's hammered drunk, little guy, right? Little guy. And starts mouthing me off. And I'm like, son, you better watch, you just watch what you're doing here, right? And he takes a swing at me, bro. <laughs> so I put this dude down. I'm drinking a Mountain Dew. I didn't, didn't want to spill my Mountain Dew. So I'm literally like, you know, knock this dude down. I give him a couple flip-flop stomps to the dome. And it's on tile floor, <laughs> right? And so now I'm, I'm like, the screws flip, right? I'm like, oh, screw this. Like, I'm already going to get in trouble. So I took it upon myself 
to uh, go and recalibrate like two more dudes that were kind of shitbags. <laughs> uh, like if I'm going to get it once, let's just get them all. Right. And it wasn't really me throwing punches and stuff, but one, it was like Lord of the Rings shit or Lord of the Flies, I should say. Lord of the Flies, right? Like the one thing happens and then all of a sudden we've got like pitchforks. Chaos. It was chaos. And everybody's <laughs> hammered drunk, right? And so one of the dudes who ended up being my roommate, um, he, he was actually from Iraq, right? He was an Iraqi citizen that, that, that moved to Canada. Irrelevant, right? But he he took it upon himself, like, you know, just a difference in uh, culture, really. Um, so, you know, we're getting, like, mass punishment because of him, and he thinks it's funny. Do you know what I mean? So it didn't play well with some people. And he sure. just didn't see that, right? He didn't understand that. So anyway, somebody took a couple shots at him. Well, he ended up going to like PMO, like, you know, the MPs and said it was a racial thing. So now it's like red star cluster. Right. Yeah. So we're sitting there the next morning. Uh, we had Germans on base cause it's, it's a pretty big base, but it's where all the Germans come for their, um, their tankers. They send all, you know, everybody that's conscripted in Germany, they send all the tankers there. They're in Canada for a couple months cause we have such a vast training area and mm-hmm, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So we have everything that goes on with Germans, right? So we got the German MPs, we got, you know, they're driving around in these big Volkswagen buses. Mm-hmm. They're all like six, five, you know, two bill, two fifty, probably <laughs> big Germans. You know what I'm saying? That's who, who the, who the cops are there. And so they didn't have enough cops to come and arrest me and the two other guys. Cause they thought we were like dangerous. We're recruits, bro. Like, what are you talking about? So I'll never forget. I get arrested. I get thrown in, you know, basically jail. It's not really the brig the jail and I'm standing by trying to wait. So then we ended up going through this whole court martial shit. But, um, I guess the key piece of the story I forgot to tell you is while we're drinking that weekend, I run into my drill instructors in the bar and my drill instructor, my senior drill instructor is basically like Williams, like you're, this platoon is a shit show. Like I'm expecting you to handle some business. And if you don't, there's going to be hell to pay. So that's what he basically tells me. Right. Yeah. So me, me being the dude I am, right, I go handle business. Well, now I'm getting skylined. And then the only thing that saved me is I had a captain that was representing me. And he caught that my senior drill instructor, uh, who is a warrant officer, so like the equivalent of a staff sergeant in the Marine Corps, really, E6. Uh-huh. He caught him because it uh, it's all paper, SRBs and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah. He caught him back filling a bunch of shit. Because I was like... Against you? against me so like i was the guy you know i was motivated i was in shape i was doing all this and so everything was you know stellar 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 you know what i mean and he was going back trying he was to going re- back re- in there making oh it. yeah we had an incident and blah 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 and it was all fake like he was just trying to cover his tracks and so i was keeping my mouth shut i wasn't going to do anything and then he brought me the evidence of that and i was like oh really so then i was like yeah yeah no he absolutely you know and so we had it sorted out so anyway i ended up getting a uh a uh, 30-day sentence in the brig, right? And in Canada, we call it Club Ed. It's a military prison. It's like Leavenworth. But if you go in there, you come out a changed man, and not for the better. You know what I mean? <laughs> so I was like, so they, they give me my sentence for like 30 days, and I'm like, oh, my God. Like, my military career is over. It's not even started yet. You know, all this. And then they uh, they come back at me, and they're like, but we're putting a stay on it, right? So basically, like, hey, this is this is pending, just make sure if you, you fuck up, you're yeah. on probation, basically. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah, don't yeah. screw anything up. So now I'm thinking, like, I get back to my unit. Like, I don't, I want to just get out because if I show up and I don't have a shave, can I end up in jail? Like, right. now, like now it's a big deal to me, right? And so I got to my unit and I'm freaking out. And you, because I did the know, Highland unit. Yeah, the Highland unit. So here's the thing, right? So they don't know anybody. You know, it's it's reservist. So you know, it's kind of piecemeal. Well, we, you know, I get there and I'm trying to stay 
off the radar and stuff and we go to the range and we're doing some uh we're doing like rifle call for the infantry and stuff like that and uh i'm sitting there and everybody's i'm just sitting there off to the side like just minding my my p's and q's and the dude that was in charge of the admin office was a, a navy cat he was a po uh petty officer i don't even remember his name but he's like Every, this is before computers, right? So everything that they were getting, like, hey, little Williams ain't coming back to the unit. He's getting a court martial, you know. So they're getting it all on the fax machine, and so they're get, like standing around the fax every day trying to get an update on what the crap is going on <laughs> with this new guy that just joined. And they don't know who I am. Mm-hmm. They do, but they don't. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And so I'm out there on this range. I'll never forget it. The first time I show up to the unit after. And they're just telling, like, Paul Bunyan stories about this recruit Williams. You know what I mean? And I'm, like, just sitting there going, like, holy fuck. Like, should I say something? You know, like, you guys are way, way off base. And so they're just talking. And they're not talking shit. They're just, like, the stories are just, it's like fishing stories. They're just getting more and more egregious. And I'm just sitting there. And then I kind of smirked or, or did, like, a little guffaw or something. And then one of the dudes, like, looks at me. And he's like, hang on a sec. I don't know that dude. Like, hey, man, what's your name? I'm like. Little Williams. Oh, <laughs> like a private Williams and they were just like like crickets right <laughs> and uh anyway so it was it was really really funny but um after that everything kind of worked out so yeah I went and talked to the uh the XO of the unit and he's like like read between the lines of what really went on he goes man just just you know watch your P's and Q's here you'll be we're fine. not trying to yeah, fuck we're not you. trying to fuck you yeah yeah and so once I talked to him like he really squared me away and after that we were uh we were totally good so um but that's that was pretty you know uh, I mean, that was the beginning of my, my military career, right? Like, show up, beat up, right? That's wild. Yeah, just just <laughs> funny, funny, funny stuff. Um, wild. That was Canada, so I can't remember what we were talking about before that. but No, I... Well, he wanted to know why uh, rank from... Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So it was like like E4 yeah. uh, was the big deal. But then and they then, didn't give you any reciprocity to the so, Marine Corps? So, <clears throat> well, funny thing about that is I wasn't the... Um, I don't want to say I wasn't honest with my recruiter. I was able to get to boot camp in 25 days because he kept my Canadian record off the books, right? Whether he meant to or not, I don't know. But mm-hmm. like when I showed up and, and in the Marine Corps, there was nothing in there. But however, it doesn't matter. Like, you know, they could have gave me reciprocity. I, you know, I would have had that those years added to my retirement, like all that crap. But it's kind of irrelevant. It's another NATO country, right? Like, they don't, nobody gives a crap about benefits. Mm-hmm. Um, right. But it would have absolutely benefited me. But it didn't matter because I'd already maxed out. You know, like, I got contract PSC because of college. And then I, when I graduated MLS school, they gave me a meritorious promotion for graduate. So you moved up fast anyway. You know? Bro, it took me, like, from the day I went to boot camp to the day I picked up sergeant it was 26 months. Yeah. Yeah. But that's by design because yeah. I wasn't, I was third, like, I came in at third, I wasn't playing the game. Mm-hmm. Like, what do I need to do to get promoted? And the reason why is because, like, my first duty station, I went to Okinawa, and I had a 20-year-old sergeant that was in charge of me, and I was a 30-year-old corporal. Not that that matters. But I started hitting the booze a little bit more than I probably should have, right? So, I mean, if you've never been to Okinawa, that's what you do there. You go to the mm-hmm. gym and you drink. And, I, I mean, it's it's if you're single. And I tried to get my family there. It wasn't happening. So, anyway, what I'm getting at is there was an incident, nothing major, nothing bad, um, you know, there was two or three Williamses in my platoon and you had to log into the logbook. Well, somehow it got mixed, right? So it looked like I hadn't checked in. So I'm like almost passed out in my rack and I have the duty. He was a staff sergeant come rolling through into my room and he starts getting like, he was like uh, pinching my toes. I'm like laying in my rack. So he's like pinching my toes. I'm like, get, you know, fuck off, dude. 
I didn't know who he was. Mm-hmm. I'm hammered. Like, get off. What are you doing, dude? Like, get the, stop fucking touching me, you know, queer bag or whatever. You know, like, just being derogatory towards him. And then he tells me he's like, duty. I'm like, then why are you touching me? What's, what's the issue? What's the issue? And then he starts going off because the other Williams was underage. Right? And I look old now, but I didn't back then. Mm-hmm. So he's looking at me. I'm at the age of 30 thinking I'm some 20-year-old kid. Mm-hmm. Which now, I'm like... Maybe you should know your Marines a little bit better, bro. Right. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, kind of light this dude up. So that was the only incident. Well, then, long story short, they want to, you know, give me a counseling or whatever. So I've got a 20-year-old dude who's counseling me on drinking, and I'm looking at him like, get the fuck out of my face, bro. Yeah. I'm not taking this from you. Like, go get somebody else. Yeah. He's like, well, I'm I'm in charge of you. I'm like, no, you're a sergeant in the Marine Corps, but you definitely ain't in charge of me. You know what I mean? Like, we're not playing this game. You're not going to counsel me on family. You're not going to counsel me on anything that you don't have. Yeah, you don't have it. You know what I mean? You yeah. don't know what it's like. Well, yeah, I do because, you know, I, you know, so you're telling me that you break the rules because you're drinking underage, bro? Is that what you're telling me right now? Like, we're, you can't, there's no way to win that situation. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So, anyway. Um, it's not like he's just kind of being a, a real dick anyway. It, it wasn't even, it's not even that he was being a dick. It's that he didn't understand. He wasn't mature enough. Like, imagine being, like, you're brought up, and the only thing you see is what people before you teach you, right? Mm-hmm. And so you don't have the wherewithal or the experience to be able to look outside of the box and be like, well, hey, this is the way I've been going, but hey, let me go talk to this guy over here, because maybe he's got some experience with this, mm-hmm. right? And then that's how you approach that. Because you don't need to tell me, like, I know what, I know what you're going through. No, you don't, dude. You can't even drink. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? So mm-hmm. little things like that. And you're like, why is this guy even talking to me right now? No, I get but, that. Yeah, so that's where we're at with that. But um, aside from that, you move up pretty quick in the Marine Corps. Yeah, I mean, I probably would have moved up quicker as a as a mechanic than I did in EOD because um, EOD, like, there's a lot of really really good dudes there. I have a lot of respect for a lot of the guys, but then you also have the lazy ones, right? No, so but so you do a whole tour as a mech first, though, right? I did. I did four years. Yeah, the and only, then so how's the decision come to be to transfer to EOD? Because so, it's not like you can just say, "Hey, I want to be EOD," right? No. Well, I mean, you kind of it's it's a lat like there's move. a process. It's but, a lat move. There's a process. So yeah. what I was looking at, to be honest, was uh, I knew I didn't want to stay in and be a mechanic. I'd done it on a MU, and we were like, I never worked. It's not that I I, I I do like to work, right? But we worked, but there was never any appreciation there which i don't mind that like i don't just give me a thank you you know i don't need anything any awards or any crap like that just just a hey, good job and give me a day off every once in a while because we worked a lot you know uh-huh. um but it wasn't that it was that i really felt like i joined to make a difference and i wasn't doing that as support it's like no you immediate I mean? satisfaction it's not even at all it's not even the immediate satisfaction it's the long-term satisfaction like i made a difference you know what mm-hmm. i mean like when i was in the canadian military and your infantry i mean you're out there depending on what your mission is but there's a there's a mission that's there that you there's de- definitely some way to qualify it or quantify yep, yep. the measure right yep, yep. so with maintenance there's a maintenance cycle and there's always stuff that's broken and always stuff that needs to get fixed right and no matter how you try to change that like more like just being working on an assembly line or a conveyor well, belt exactly or there's no there's no way to make it better right so mm-hmm. like prime example like dealing with the infantry you could be like, uh, hey, this truck is broke because of some serious misuse, bro. Like, what the crap are you thinking? And there's no, that person isn't held accountable, right? But now it falls on your shoulders. So what I'm getting at is, oh, yeah, there's a 72 coming up. And then the you know the grunts would bring all this gear over just to get it Crushed off of there. Gear. Right. And it's like, why didn't you bring this to me a week ago or two weeks ago? You know what I mean? Because they can't go on their 72 or 96 until it's taken care of. Well, the easiest way to do that is dump it on support, right? And so a lot of good support dudes 
we just handle that. We just shoulder that, you know, take care of it and stuff like that. But that's what I mean. There's no, but you couldn't say, hey, man, bring next time, bring that to me a week earlier or two weeks earlier. Oh, okay, gotcha. And then same shit next mm-hmm, time. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. There's that repetitive cycle. Mm-hmm. So there's no way really to fix the system, I guess you could say, uh, unless you had like <clears throat> special relationships with certain people, right? And that that's what it ends up boiling down with yep, everything yep. in the Marine Corps. Yep. Right? Yep. Doesn't matter. It's always that who you know and how what, how you can network work and that, cultivate work your relationship to get what you need. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so that's, that was, I'd venture to say that's everywhere in life though. Like, yeah, yep. absolutely. Like it's not just the Marine Corps. It is for us. Cause that's where we started, but yeah. Networking and building relationships in the civilian world is. Oh, absolutely. It's everything. And then you just hope that they're not going to backstab you. Yeah. Yeah. Like at some point it's that relationship. Like how do you <clears throat> like with a relationship, is there a dollar amount to it or a certain time for like, what is it worth to you to turn your back on that person? And that's what it boils down to. Like, and that's where, you know, in the Marine Corps, we turn into yes men or not. Some people turn into yes men. And that's what it comes down to. It's, it comes down to that person is going to be more worried about their career and their family and a paycheck versus maybe you, something that's right. Maybe something that's morally morally above the fray. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely, dude. Mm-hmm. So that's where we're going with that. But yeah, okay. Yeah, and that's everywhere too, right? Like if somebody gets leveraged because, I mean, imagine that you're imagine that you start a new job and you think it's a stepping stone job or it's just to get, you know, just to get by job, but then you become dependent on the money. Right. And you know, then then maybe there's an economic crisis in the world. And now it's like jobs are soaked up and money's expensive. Gas is going up. And then like, now you're dependent on that right now, instead of chasing your dreams, you're working some menial task, getting depressed and anxious about your lot in life. That's it. That's, that's the big problem in our country right now. No, that's exactly. Well, it's not just our country. That's well, the, the world. world but here's yeah. the thing. That's socialized behavior. Yeah. So we are trained to be like that, you know. And, you know, in the military, you can you can, you can can see it a little bit more. Uh, if you go in and then you get out, you, you can kind of have that 20-20 hindsight, right? So it's mm-hmm. very black and white to me. Um, you know, and I don't want to say the words indoctrination or things like that because it's really not that. But... It's, it's socialized behavior. It's socialized, socialized culture. Yeah. Like prime example in the Marine Corps, right? You are trained right from boot camp that um, weakness is not to be tolerated, right? So it doesn't matter what personal issues you have, whether mm. it's physical, mental, anything. If you are a the weakest link, now we need to go ahead and sort you out, push you. Usually it's like, we got to fap you up. Like, mm-hmm. you're going to go work here, work there. Got to make you go work. You're no good to your MOS. You're no good to the battalion or whatever mm-hmm. the company. Mm-hmm. Uh, we need to get rid of you, regardless of whether or not they're going to fix you. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like, um, uh, th- that's the, the the biggest thing I see where we're just taught to kick people down the ladder. Like, uh, <laughs> so you look at going for a run, right? And you get a guy that, that you know, injures his knee or something. Hey, I'm going to need like two. Oh, dude's got an injured knee. Like, screw that dude, man. Like, he's weak. Or, or whatever. Yeah. Well, how about instead of doing that, how about we get him fixed? And then he's like, like, why do you got to turn your back on him for that week or two weeks? Mm-hmm. But that's how we're trained, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. That's it's it's, all it's the institution. Hand. Like the institution is all alpha all the time, and the second that there's that beta, the second that there's that weakness, and in in like in my in my experience, sometimes it wasn't even like the weakness brought the dogs out on you it was almost like the weakness was looked at as leprosy and you didn't want right. to it's like i got to separate myself from him because i don't even want my mind to know that's right. real right no that's exactly and that's right. like the culture and when that's yep. the culture and then you have a problem in your week it doesn't matter how close your boys are it's contagious nope nope 
Right. I don't want to. I don't want to associate with that. I don't know what's going on there. And it may be a legit injury. Right. And maybe it's a legit thought in the mind. I don't want my mind to ever even think that somebody that was with me through all this could be hurt because then maybe it'll think it could be hurt. Right. You know what I mean? So I don't know how much of that's good or bad, but I know that it doesn't help us when the top echelons of the institution are like that. Right. Right. No, and that's, I mean, to me, like, that's one of the biggest things, like maybe it's changed now, but, uh, you know, going through the Marine Corps and then transitioning out, that was the one of the biggest pieces that I felt like we get left behind a lot is the transition piece, right? Mm. And so, like, prim- when I was over at Wounded War Battalion, I'll never forget, I was coming through the front gate and there was a dude that was... Um, Actually, that's a different story. Uh, when I was at Wounded Warrior Battalion, there was a guy there that I was talking to. Um, it's probably like S3 or somebody. And, you know, we're not by name or anything, but we're just going over the situation. And there was a guy that popped on a piss test for heroin, right? Mm. And so they like, immediately throw him in the brig, right? He's over at Wounded Warrior Battalion. They immediately throw him in the brig. They're admin sepping him. They pick him up from the brig. They take him to the front gate, you know, admin sept and, and kick him out. And it's like, but if you looked at the whole story, of course, that's like unmarine-like behavior, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But what's the underlying issue? Like, you don't just start shooting heroin. Mm-mm. You know what I mean? What's the underlying issue? And then it turns out that old boy, you know, had an injury, obviously got PTSD too, but had an injury, is on medications. They cold turkey stop his medications. Now he's withdrawing. Then he starts drinking, right? Drinking leads to X, Y, Z. Now, then he starts doing heroin. So... They're not. So what I'm getting at is, is we look at that because it's such egregious bad behavior by that Marine. He can no longer be a Marine and we're not going to take care of him. But being in the Marine Corps and being in the situations he was in, that's what causes the injury. Mm-hmm. You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And so now you're now the Marine Corps is turning their back on this guy. Now, I'm not saying I agree with shooting heroin, but bro, there's got to be a better way than than putting him in the brig, admin sepping him. Like, how about we put him in a rehab facility or or do that? Like, maybe he can't be rehabbed and be a Marine anymore. But he's obviously over at Wounded War Battalion for a reason, right? Like, Well, I mean, I think there's a lot to be said, too, about the way in which we transition Marines, regardless if they're shooting heroin, especially injured Marines. I think injured Marines come home, and like we just said, you got that contagion, and you got that that weakness exuded because you're injured either psychologically or physically. And then it's like, okay, well, we got to, okay, so you're off the numbers. Now you're over at Wounded Warrior Battalion, let's say. Over there, you're all alone. So now you're doing your regiment, you're doing your medication, you're doing your thing. There's a better way we could do all of that. And like, and I think maybe we're there. They got the new skill bridge program mm-hmm. uh, going on right now, which guys are actually going to the college and getting professional classes that probably were better than SEPs and TAPs. Uh, however, I haven't been through it. I'm still trying to learn about it. But um, that's probably a better way. But guys that get shot up, blown up, things of this nature, then they're on opioids for maybe sometimes years. Right because of different surgeries and things of that nature like that's the that's the starting point that we got to get to so that the alcohol and other drugs never becomes an issue right and like if that means we don't cold turkey you anymore and we got to find therapeutics to wean you off so be it and if that means we go hard at big pharmaceutical as a federal institution and say hey there's treatments that work that you're not allowing us to give to our people here you know i've talked about it on the show a lot like people going for ibogaine treatment or ayahuasca treatment and things of this nature and you can't do it here because it's a quarter billion dollar lobby against it right you know with the people that that make decisions so (coughs) there's i think there's still a long way we could come with guys that are combat injured um or even not combat injured but injured in line with their service it doesn't always have to be combat that you get an injury that you have to go on medication or whatever for right and then i think there's a little bit of discounted um for me, I feel like there's there's some um, 
situations that where people are like, oh, we're not worried about that. Oh, we're not worried about that. That's just, you know, that's just a weird injury. Well, it's like, well, well, maybe like that knee injury, that orthoscopic surgery that put him down for six months and he gained weight and he's not ideally all right in the head right now because you've removed purpose from his life for six months, put him on drugs. He maybe you know, now he's not even feeling like himself. So it doesn't always take a combat situation to, right. you know, to knock somebody off kilter. And then I think we just need to do better by... Uh, Definitely by transition, but definitely by these guys that are coming back. There's got to be better processes set in place so that that situation doesn't come to fruition. Right. Well, I think I think part of it is too for me, or like a big piece of it, it's it's culture, right? And so we look at like the evolution of culture, right? So if mm-hmm. you look in the Marine Corps, well, say you went to boot camp in the '80s, right, and now you're in charge in the 2000s. Well, it's drastically changed in that 20 years, right? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, when we go through boot camp, we're told, like, injuries are bad. So you don't, for, first off, you don't want to report an injury. As the injured guy, you do not want to come yep. out of pocket and say, you need help, or I've got this, or I've got that. Because now you're already getting kicked down the ladder, or you're being looked at in a derogatory fashion, right? Mm-hmm. Well, that's a cultural thing, mm-hmm. right? That's that's bred into us. Well, imagine being, like, like uh, prime example now um, is... All the people that are in charge or, you know, went to boot camp in the, you know, maybe 80s, 90s. Well, no, I guess it would be like 90s, 2000s now. And they're start, they're, they're doing, um, like, uh, gender transitions and shit like that. Mm-hmm. Like, back then, you can't even probably comprehend that. Like, you just aren't... It wasn't a, a part of our society or a big part of our society. Mm-hmm. So, like, getting um, socialized behavior in school and things like that, that is not even something that's in your wheelhouse. So all these... People that we, you know, you look at it like we call them dinosaurs, right? Oh, he's dinosaur because he's already hit his peak. He's of no use, no relevant use to mm-hmm. anything anymore. There's no evolution going on, right? But they stick around for a year to five after that, right? Mm-hmm. And so I think that's a big part of it is that we have people that should have left a while ago because they're irrelevant, right? Put somebody that that's that has new blood almost some new some ideas new, exactly. Like it's it's all about. You know, that was one of my big things in the Marine Corps. You know, we're, we're supposed to be this fast-moving fast, fast moving force, right? Stay light, stay, stay. Uh, uh, you know, have a lot of ingenuity, be fluid on the battlefield, you know, all this stuff. But then we're not in doctrine. Like, yeah. I'll never forget, I was uh, at advanced course, um, you know, years ago, obviously. But we had a, a, a committee come down from headquarters Marine Corps, you know, a bunch of random, you know, enlisted cats. I don't think there's any officers. And they were just doing Q&A with all these, you know, um, staff NCOs and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And like I had a question. I was like, well, look, you know, we've been at, in, at war in Iraq for 10 years, Afghanistan for 10 or 12 at the time, whatever it was. I said, and, you know, every time we have to do these, everybody does after action reports, right, from the battalion on down. So you get these big after action reports that are like, hey, this is what's going on. This is what's relevant. And then the next battalion that's leaving, they're reading the after action report of the guy that was just there. So they get a good feel for, like, atmospheric. Right? Yeah. And I'm like, out of all those, you know, at all this time that we've been doing, how much of that has been, has changed Marine Corps doctrine and it was like this just glazed over look and it was like none I'm like so hang on and you know for me you know I was an EOD guy explosives you know after I let move from being a mechanic and so my thing is is like staying on top of the environment like what is going on what's the new trends what's this that's that's people's life that's life and death you know yep, yep. and so I'll never forget it was like reinventing the wheel every time we deployed because you'd get with a new grunt unit that was going out like say one six right hey one six what's going on and then it would be this new influx of NCO staff, NCOs, and, you know, you might have a boot drop in there too. And it was like, okay, and they would be going through their TNR standards and everything was all about ambushes, gunfights. 
but it wasn't a lot of but explosives. So they're all getting this side training, and then when you get to Leatherneck or Ramadi or wherever you're at in yeah, Iraq, quick, quick little course. You're doing a quick little course. Is oh, hey, this is how you use a mine detector. You know, like bro, you should been training all that for six months. Like that's your lifeline out here. You know what I mean? If you're the head of the squad, you know you need to know how to do that. And they wouldn't do that. And it's kind of like, how is this not doctrine? Like this is what's known to work. This is what's saving lives. If we're supposed to be fluid on the battlefield, then how about you be fluid in the scripture, right? Be fluid in the in the pubs for, for war fighting and stuff like that. But what it do you doesn't think change. The reason is they just can't. They can't. Does it change think, too fast to even write it down? It's so they... it, because of the process. I think it it changes so fast that, like, if you look at like TCOM, right? So if you're at a TCOM school, you have certain um, criteria that you gotta you gotta hit, right? So let's say you have four things you're gonna go to school for whatever it is, but there's four criteria that you need to, that have been pass or fail, right? So you write the curriculum, everybody comes in, they come together, they say, okay, this is smart. You do the curriculum, you do a couple uh, like proctored classes where it's not for grade or, or anything like that. Mm-hmm. You get some feedback, you change what you need to change, and then it's doctrine, right? So if something changes from that, to change it to make, because TCOM, it's all about funding, right? And mm-hmm. so this is what you, this is what the standard is, this is the amount of money you get for that. These are the criteria that you're teaching. Don't deviate from that. Right, so there's no, there because it's a standard, right, and because it's like a TCOM school, it's pass or fail. It might be, um, you know, you could, it could be something that changes your MOS for all shits and giggles, right? Like mm-hmm. you could get a little uh, new number, or new moniker, or whatever. So they have to have that standard, and that's what it's about. It's about meeting that standard. So if they were to implement something new, well, the guys five years ago didn't do that. Do you know what I mean? So now there's a a, a difference in that standard that would be i think it would just be too great to to um transition to but i don't think that should stop no, like, us from did, doing it well what about you guys what about did did you watch evolution of um tactics and uh ttp's best practices while you were part of the eod community oh absolutely so but was any of it written down as doctrine so we change we change there's certain time frames that we need to change our pubs and stuff like that and like good commanders if they're going out do a, do, they'll do a supplemental, like, hey, these are the trends, this is, you know, or they'll give you a work statement, like, this is what EOD can do, this is what we don't do, this is what I expect yeah. you not to ask my guys to do, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. And they can absolutely um, put that out there, you know, basically at the battalion level or the RCT level. Um, but uh, for the most part, what, what we're really good at is what people forget, like EOD, it's not just about, you know, picking apart bombs and doing all that. Everything's intelligence-driven. Mm-hmm. And so for us, it's all about... Um, exploitation right we want to get as much evidence as we can we want to put together a targeting package and we want to put these motherhuggers in the ground you know what i mean and so that's the big thing so it's like this retro a lot of times we're retroactive on the battlefield uh not proactive the good guys are proactive but it's very hard to do in a conventional environment mm-hmm, right mm-hmm. is to be proactive um just the way things go but for us the big like what, what's really good about us is we're such a tight-knit community that we have workarounds for a lot of the intel and stuff like that so like immediately like if like i was in sangan mm-hmm. for a couple tours there uh within the battalion you're gonna have there was basically uh 12 eod guys like six teams and out of those six dudes we probably nightly as eod as a whole would 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 be passing information right and it might not just be on a daily trend or something like that but it might be something uh, you know, different things that were working for us or whatever, because we want to keep everybody like on the newest, as spun up as, as, spun up as possible, dude. Like yeah. it's because it's scary. Like mm-hmm. you know, we went into saying, and there was twelve of us. I think only eight of us left of our own volition. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Which is that's huge. Mm-hmm. That's and we're the subject matter experts. You know what I mean? The stuff's not it's not the safest stuff out there. You know what I mean? Right. So you, you do get bit every once in a while, but. 
that's that's the big thing. So you want to make sure that everybody's like I would feel horrible if there was a piece of information that I could pass on that I didn't mm. because my VSAT was down or you know what I mean. Like there's tons of workarounds for that. But. Or have like um, <coughs> how about one of the issues that that I know I've experienced is like the lack of dissemination of information because of parochial unit personalities. How about that? Yeah. Well, so here's you know some funny shit is, uh, you know, every O, you have a battalion commander, right? That battalion basically owns the AO, unless mm-hmm. it comes to MARSOC. MARSOC's a little bit different. But within that AO, if you're tra- uh, traversing the AO, you're supposed to give them a heads up, hey, we're coming up your southern, co- you know, your southern border. Hey, we're going through your northern border, whatever. So if you're a mobile asset, you know, like the RCTs or the, uh, what are route clearance? Yeah, RCTs, route clearance yeah. teams. You're going to let them know, like, hey, man, we're going to be through your AO in a bit. We're traveling on this road. Hey, and, you know, everybody's got a BFT, so you're watching it anyway. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the watcher's watching it. Well, I'll never forget, we were in Marja, and we were in, you know, the port shop. We were just south of where you guys were at. Yeah. And um, we had a, it was uh, Colonel Christmas, actually. You've told me about this. Yeah, Lieutenant Colonel Christmas, right? And so they were on a convoy up from, like, like FOB Marja, which was to the south, and they were rolling through our AO. And we had a, um, a unit that had marked and bypassed a IED, right? So just luckily I happened to be in the COC and I'm watching these dudes and I heard the watcher come on and say, yeah, yeah, you're clear, like roll roll on through. And I'm like, hold hey, on, man. hold on. Somebody marked bypass as like even you guys were tracking where it was we, marked? Our, our COC was tracking where this where, where this. And then they're going to send Christmas right on Where a possible it? ID was and they were sending them up the route. Oh, and I'm like, hang on, watcho, like hang on. Hey, hold them there. I said, didn't you just get a report? Like we got an IED right there. And he's like, yeah, well, the jump platoon didn't have EOD with them. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, so I was like, well, listen, we can spin up. Because we were only like maybe a mile and a half, two miles away mm-hmm. in RPB. I'm like, hey, we can roll out there. Just, you know, get us QRF. We can roll out there and take care of it before he gets up there. I mean, I'd hate to interrupt, you know, this movement or whatever. But the only reason why they didn't hit that IED is because I just happened to be there and happened to catch what was going on. Do you see what I'm saying? So how many people, other people, does that happen to? I don't know. Uh, but anyway, we get out there and it was it was... Colonel Christmas, he's a trip, Lieutenant Colonel Christmas. But uh, we get out there and, you know, take care of it. Probably took us, and it wasn't just one. It wasn't had, just they one. marked and bypassed that Bro, No, they had marked and bypassed. Like, there was a possible, right? So they they put it on there. There's about, there's like three or four of them. I don't even remember. So I'm out there just like fishing these things out. And then they finally roll up and he comes up on me. He's like, hey, how much longer do you think? I'm like, I don't know. Like, I really don't know, bro. Like I've, I've moved. How five. safe would you like yeah, it to be? I mean, used? I've moved five, you know, like I get, you want to go get, we'll let you roll right yeah, down. Get a hot in the car or whatever, but uh, it's pretty funny. So we took care of those right quick, but um, yeah. So just, you, t- you talked about. Were they about, intact? They're functional. Yeah yeah, yeah. 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 I know in the beginning, a lot of, we found a lot and you know, our guys, that were in, embedded with us, REOD, they were like, yep, these are not intact, or yep, these are too old, or yep, yeah, these yep, devices aren't aren't functional right now. Yep. Probably they buried a bunch of them in anticipation of us coming. I don't know, so, but... Uh, well, there was some legacy stuff there, but one of the things, like, people don't realize, we um, they had an arming switch. A lot of times, like in Marja, they were using an arming switch, which just basically means they had this IED set up, and then the circuit wasn't complete. And so they were they could put it in the road, and they would you could travel over it all day long. And then they would arm it up, right? 
after um, it had been there for a while. After it had been there for a while. So you had no atmospherics. Because, like, you know, like if you're lead Vic, the first thing you're looking for is ground signs. And a lot of times you can see that because something just doesn't look right mm-hmm. um, when, you're in the, when you're in the vehicles. And so that's what they were really doing. So in Marja, because it's very narrow grid, grid roads, right? Yep. And so that's what they do is they knew that, hey, we got foot traffic. So, you know, you see little Toyota Corollas ripping up and down and stuff like that. And then they would try to time it. And they'd go arm it up uh, right mm. quick and stuff like that. So I they know were... they started using packing peanuts on us there too. Like, so the lead Vic would crush the circuit down a little bit with packing peanuts, the second Vic a little bit more. So it looks like it's a command debt when Vic 3 blows right. up. Yeah. And they just started finding them and it'd be like, yeah, they they'd have perfect. trash bags wrapped over the pressure. Yeah. And then hundreds of packing peanuts in between. Yeah, just to the, crush it. The yeah. boards, yeah. So, yeah. I mean, I thought it was genius. Yeah. I'm like, yeah. I mean, it's funny, you know, we come up with all the workarounds and then they're beating the workaround with a, a dollar worth of, you know, extra electrolytes. So like when we went to <laughs> yeah. the mine rollers, right? Oh, we're going to put this mine roller out there and it'll, it'll uh, you know, blow up everything. And then we're not losing vehicles. We're just, you know, messing up mine rollers and we can fix those easy. Well, people didn't think, well, let's just offset the pressure switch by 14 feet or however long a mine roller is, right? So the, the mine roller hits it and now the main charge is under the vehicle. Like, so you're adding in like 14 feet of white lamp cord. Well, how much is that in a bazaar in Afghanistan? Nothing. Nothing. Right. So, you know, you see these, oh, we're going to, but the thing is, is the contract had already been placed for the mine rollers, and I'm sure it's some retired Marine that came Multi-billion dollar contract. Multi-billion dollar contract. Right. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So that's And so then, fun. and then we like our mine rollers so much that we start getting angry when line elements are destroying too many mine rollers. And it's like, hey, hang the fuck on. Didn't we buy them to blow them up? Right. <laughs> right. Interesting how that all goes. Oh, oh I know, dude. Yeah. Yeah. But um, yeah, I'm not mad crazy. about it. But it's like I no, mean, it doesn't that, make sense. That, though. But but I mean that side of it, the administration side, you know, it's always going to be fucked up, political, and, and a racket. But like on our side of it, war will always be us changing TTPs, them fixing mm-hmm. them. Us changing them, fixing. Work around, work around, work around, work around right. for the advantage. But from our side, one of the big things is is like when there's a problem, we're just going to throw money at it, right? No, and fact. I don't, and I don't mean. Money as in, okay, we need to come up with a solution and, you know, this is how much it's going to cost for that solution. What I'm talking about is that sustainable money. Mm-hmm. Like now you've got a company that just opened up and bid on a contract that now has the rights to build this workaround, whether it works or not. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? So it's it's almost like... Um, and when it falls out of effectiveness as a workaround, we're still going to continue yeah, to buy it. Right, because it, you still got two years on the contract. Right. Right, right that's what I'm getting at. Now so we have warehouses have, full of tchotchkes. And it doesn't exactly. even fucking work so anymore. Right. You look at like EOD gear, right? Like we, there we've gone through so many iterations of different things that we get. Like the, it's the new hottest item, you know, or whatever, like tools. Mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. hey, we need that, we need that, we need that. But by the time it gets approved and gets to us, if they didn't open purchase it, a lot of times it's sitting on shelves. So we have like we have these things, um, a robot system called the Rons. It's it's massive. It I don't even it got to weigh like eight hundred pounds or a thousand pounds. It's massive. What is it? It's a big robot for EOD for EOD purposes, for like yeah. for exploitation stuff like that. But it's not something that works very well. In the hey, sand. how much does that cost us? Oh, I don't even know. Dude. A lot. Stupid. A, a lot. Well, so our we had the Talon. I think the Talon was. Like six hundred thousand dollars for the Talon, I think. Like a piece the per black, robot. The, the black one that we used to always use that had the, the arm on it, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Then we had the Packbot, which was a little bit cheaper, like three hundred thousand, I think. But the Rons, it's got to be a million bucks, dude. Like no lying, we had a couple of them. You know, when we transitioned from Iraq to Afghanistan, they were sitting in a Quadcon or Conex box in Afghanistan. We never used it because it's useless there. But what I'm getting at is, that's something that we get 
If they had bomb suits, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I don't know if you've ever been in a bomb suit in 120 degree weather. Negative. You're, you're, what people don't get, it's like Hard pass. The, the difference between a bomb suit and not a bomb suit on an IED call is whether it's an open casket or closed casket barrier. Still going to kill you. Still probably going to kill you. So bomb suits, the way they calibrate a bomb suit is they use basically one pound equivalent of TNT. One pound, hmm. right? IEDs are 20 to 50 pound was probably the normal in Afghanistan. So it's never even been tested against something that bad, right? So you're gonna be you're gonna be whole, right? But you're probably gonna have a little bit of brain. Well, know, and not to mention that the shock wave, yeah, the shock wave could kill you alone, depending yeah, on the size of the so of the job. You'd be yeah. surprised how many do like we gotta go, you know, EOD, we get tested with a lot of random weird stuff too. But we do a lot of post blast, right? Yep. Post blast analysis. Yep. So anytime they drop ordinance or whatever, we go out there and do battle damage assessments, stuff like that. And you'd be surprised how many like and I've got my own theories on this, but like especially in Afghanistan. You know, Marines, we wear a lot of gear, right? So we're, you know, we probably got, the average guy probably has like 40 to 60 pounds of gear on him at least, right? At least, yeah. Uh, when you're outside the wire. And so I believe that a lot of the stuff that they, when they step on it, a lot of times they lose limbs because of basically gravity, right? They have so much weight, extra weight on there. The explosion takes the path of least resistance because a lot of the Afghanis, they're wearing like manjamas and, and maybe a chest rig, maybe, you know, if they're the IED guy, they probably don't even got a gun on them. Mm-hmm. And when they get blown up, they just get launched. They're not missing limbs. Do you see what I'm saying? We're mm-hmm. missing limbs because we're heavier. Like we're wearing Taking all that more gear. force to launch it. All so that's breaking shit. Absolutely, mm-hmm. and that's that's what I truly believe. Because uh, you know, even like air ordnance, you put it on air airburst. We'd we'd roll up, and there would be dudes that were no um, fragmentation or uh, any type of bodily injury other than the shock killed them. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. just rattled their brain. Basically, I mean, I, right? ju- I just did an interesting interview with Dr. Brandeis. Um, he's a world-renowned, or at least nationally renowned, and award-winning urologist. Mm-hmm. We talked about shockwaves. Mm-hmm. Long story short, he talks about like how they used focused shockwaves to break up kidney yep. stones. He said we hit them about 3,000 shockwaves in a 20-minute period, mm-hmm. about 100 shockwaves a minute kind of thing. And I said, but is that because somebody tested a 4,000 shockwaves? He said, oh, yeah, it'd, it'd destroy your liver mm-hmm. or your kidney. It could really damage you. And I said, well, is it safe to say that that ID, blah, 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 blah. He's like, of course. Of course that's doing things. And then if you think about, like, training ballistically when we're shooting, the reason we do a hammered pair is not necessarily because we wanted to hit two holes in you really quick, but because we know if we do it right, that shock from those... Times 10. It's ripping you apart and can shut your organs down without you bleeding out. Yeah. Like, And so, like, we know about it. So... So what's funny, like, we still know a lot about what it's doing up here, I think, and what it's doing in here. Well, so it's not just the brain. Like I, I've, you know, again, being an EOD guy, you know, and having TBI, you go through, you look at, you're like, what? How can I fix this? What's going on? Mm-hmm. So I've done a lot of research in, you know, different areas on that. But what I truly believe is that one thing that gets overlooked, and there's like, there's been certain research paths that have had it, is that frequency, right? So we talk about oscillation. You know, when blast goes off, there's oscillation. Well, every different organ in your body oscillates at a different frequency. Mm-hmm. That's what it gives back. So not only mm-hmm. the like when we talk about the signal from your brain to your mm-hmm. to your organ, it's part of that is is the frequency it's on. So it's yep. mega, megahertz, right? Yep. And it's this and it's that. So a lot of the what we consider TBI or this is the way I believe, and I should say that is that it might not necessarily be your brain. Maybe your brain is getting feedback from your liver, and your liver is oscillating at a different frequency. And now it's telling your brain, "Hey, we need to adjust this because." This free, we need to adjust that frequency, right? Mm-hmm. So then it gets such bad information that now your brain is trying to change 
what that frequency is and it can't mm-hmm. you know what i mean so then maybe your your brain will shut down that organ or your brain will shut down or it drops a different hormone because it thinks yes. you're lacking or, or shuts whatever. down that signal right like i can't listen to that it's mm-hmm. it's bogus right mm-hmm. um and that so that's that's what uh what i see with that um but again there's so much again i think one of the reasons why there isn't a lot of research on this stuff uh is because the more research they do the more money they're going to have to give people that get out and have like you'd look at people that were shell-shocked from back in the day i tried justifying going to a range and shooting small rockets to get good at it or at4s to get good at it when you know as an institution that possibly just one of those right is is could jack your brain up you know right yeah i think about that a lot a lot of a lot of guys that i know that are assault men or um or like that were tow gunners and things of that nature that Maybe they never even fired one of those at war, but they fired 15 of them over here at Lejeune on yep. on KD ranges trying to get good at it. And they're wondering why they have this anxiety or these migraines or this, like, and they tell, I never even went anywhere. And it's like, yeah, because I don't believe it's so much the experience of what you've seen. Yeah. I think it's the concussions, constant hits that you take either in training and yeah. in war, but you're Absolutely. constantly taking these shock waves that we don't know what it's doing. Yep. And Nobody seems to be running out in the front line to figure it out for us, right. at least from the military. Right. You, know, so, you have the football players are kind of doing it. But that's that's where we're going to get all the research from. Yeah, it's going to be like something CTE, like where they're mandated it, you know. to do it, NFL, right? Mm-hmm. So back to the uh, the shockwaves and stuff. If you're like back in the, you know, you can look at uh, publications from years and years and years ago. But martial artists, they've known about frequency, right? So we talk about dim mock or like mm-hmm. uh, death touch, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's basically what that is, is that you want to hit pressure points, two or three of them at the same time, and you will shut down somebody's For body. For shock. Because of the shock. Because it, it, it does a hard reset on your brain. That's mm-hmm. what it is. It's because... Is it's, that the one, that, like the judo chop thing they do up need, here or the back of the neck Listen, stuff? you don't even need to hit the neck. I'm talking okay. in the arm, in the leg, in the whatever. If you hit the right uh, pressure points at the, you know, pretty much the right pressure at, the, at, at a certain interval of time... You shut somebody down, right? And that it's the same as a hammered pair. Mm-hmm. That's what that is. It just amplifies. It's like, you know, uh, you look at um, when you're throwing uh, rocks in a, like skipping them in a pond, yep. right? Yep. And you throw that one and you get those nice concentric circles rippling. Well, if you throw one and as soon as it starts rippling, you throw another one. Mm-hmm. When that other one gets in there, it's devastating to what it does to those ripples, right? Mm-hmm, and that's, mm-hmm. what the, that's what the whole point of the hammered pair. Yeah, kind of like a to, boat by itself going through the waters doing this, and then when that yeah, wake now is fine, it's exactly. just going to spread out. But when another boat's wake right. comes and meets them, right. it's kind of like... Look what it does to the shoreline. Like the washing machine. Yeah, look situation. at what it does to the shoreline. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. So that's what I see with that. But. Yeah, man. Interesting. Yeah, I think a lot of our generation, at least mine, I know you're <laughs> older than me, but the same kind of war fighting generation... Uh, a lot of us have issues that I don't think, look, I'm no expert, but I did a lot of research on my own injuries, as you do. Right. I'm not completely sold that inflammation in the brain can't cause a lot of the issues that are associated with PTS. What's your take on that? Um, like so anxiety. I, I, I agree with that, but I also think, so here's my own take on like PTSD, right? Or PTS, whatever we want to call it. Um, I truly believe because, you know, we always revert back to like war. Well, what's the difference between like, why would somebody in war have PTSD versus you get in a car wreck and you are in the seat beside your wife who is dying? Sure. Like, why is that? But what I'm getting at is we always talk about the suicide rates, right? And we attribute it to PTSD. Well, why isn't that person contributing to Correlating it? Correlating like, over co- to the yeah, same There's no numbers. correlation to me. So, mm-hmm. you know, that really got me thinking about it. 
And what I truly believe like PTS is, it's based out of ignorance, okay? And what I mean by that is like we go into war, we're kind of trained, okay, you know, we're socialized in some aspects like, you know, you look at your enemy like they're not human beings, right? Like that's number one. Number, There's a whole bunch of things that go into this, right? But what I truly believe like PTSD is, is it is, it's you questioning your morality, mm. all right? And what I mean by that is like I've seen guys that have really bad PTSD that were what we'd call fobbits. That sat on Leatherneck. But here's the thing. If you're outside of the wire and you know what's going on, and whether you see it or you or you, now you're hearing it, right? Like maybe it wasn't your platoon or your section, but it was somebody else's. You can put two and two together in your head because you've seen it. So mm. you know there's no ignorance there for you. It's mm. like, yeah, okay, the, the reason why this guy got shot is because X, Y, and Z. Like he bobbed instead of weaved. Like if I'm out there, I'm only going to weave. I'm not going to bob. And you can justify that well if you're a fobbit and all you're seeing is on the transverse but you have no idea like you don't know what the enemy looks like you don't know what a patrol is you i mean you you grasp grasp the concept but you really don't know so you see all this stuff and it's like oh pb you know some patrol base that only has 12 marines on it was attacked Mm -hmm. well you're sitting on leatherneck now thinking that leatherneck's gonna get attacked Nah, fam, there's like thousands of fucking dudes on here. Like, you don't have to worry like you do with 12 dudes. But you don't know that. But you don't know that. And so that's what I, I truly believe, like a lot of the uh, PTS stuff, is it's stuff that questions your your morality, right? Like, I can give you, pro- like when I was, uh, we were in uh, we were in Marja, right? Uh, we did the push into Marja. We were down south, and I get this call on the radio, and we're all, we don't even have vehicles there. We heloed in, right? So mm-hmm. we got little squads popping, you know, here and there, and we're pushing our 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 we're trying to get our cordon, you know, set quite a bit larger than what it was, our footprint. And so I get this call like, hey, man, we got a possible idea out here. Um, I'm like, yeah, what's going on? And they're like, oh, it's a wire's going into a trunk, and it was in somebody's house. Well, in Marja, <clears throat> they knew we were coming in because we were dropping leaflets and stuff like that, right? And a lot of people, they, they don't realize, like, Taliban, they put up checkpoints at that point because what they're going to do is they're going to extort you. Oh, you want to leave the area? Like, we're, we're not holding you hostage, yeah. but if you don't pay the toll, you're not leaving the area. Yeah. Well, then that goes again. It's the same thing they're doing in Ukraine, right? Um, so we know that we're not going to bomb certain areas because there might be locals, like civilians, right? So that's what they do is they try to keep all those people huddled together unless they want to pay, mm-hmm. right? Oh, well, you want to pay to leave? Okay. So, you know, basically when we went into Marja, the only people that were left were the people that didn't want to pay the toll. So you're talking like the elderly, the sick, like people are like, people well, just couldn't. hey, they're going to they're gonna die anyway. Yeah, or the ones that couldn't afford to or, or whatever. So we get up there, we get into this compound. The compound's pretty much, you know, been cleaned out because they'd, they'd already moved all their stuff to Lashkarga. So I get up there and there's this trunk and it looks like just like a trunk here, right? Like it was green. I got a wire coming out of the back of it. And I look at the wire, I'm like, that's not connected to anything, you know, but I'm not gonna, I don't wanna ever like put the thing up, like, you know, especially the grunts. I was never ever like, dumbass, like, yeah, don't yeah. Ever, you, you want them to you, see I want stuff. You, I don't yeah. care if you're right, or, you call me 100% of the time. Like I'm rolling out there. If it's trash, I'm going to be like, hey, man, that was trash, but I want you to look at this. Like, the reason why it was trash is because of X, Y, and Z. So it's, I use it as a learning opportunity. Sure. Right? Like, hey, we're going to calibrate this. Because, like, like, for me, in Mar- we never lost a dude to an IED. The yeah. whole time was a margin, which to me is a pretty big claim to fame. Yeah. And I'm not saying it was me or anything like that, but I was able to get down to the section level and be able to calibrate everybody to be like, this is what you're worried about, this is not what you're worried about. Hey, if you see this, you know, and yeah. we were able to alleviate, that's not to say people didn't get injured. Yeah. I'm just saying we didn't lose lose any lives. Um, so anyway, I'm dealing with this box and it's locked, which was odd. So of course, you know, lock pick sets, all that crap. I'm like, all right, let's get in here. And I get in there and I open it up and there's this like, it's like a very nice um, cloth wrap, right? So I'm like, oh, it's somebody's Quran, 
right? Like they wrap their Quran and they put it in here. But then I'm thinking to myself, well, why would they? Why the wire? No, well, the wire. So the wire was just irrelevant. It was like literally, it, it was like when they built the mud hut, there was a piece of wire, or maybe they had run it from outside and it was mm-hmm. a, a connected to something. But it wasn't even like in the box or touching the box. So I, I peel back the cover, and I realize it was a dead baby, right? Holy shit! And I'm like, what the crap? Like this is what? Like just blows my mind, right? And so I'm sitting there looking at this, like, what the crap? And then, you know, obviously, I'm like, okay, well, this ain't no ID, you yeah. know, but now yeah. we've got this, this you know, dead child that we got to deal with. And um, so, you know, we take the body back to the, the PB, and uh, there's a sure like, a day or two later, and this the dude that owned the compound comes rolling up there. And this is what people don't get. So, like, matter-of-factly, this guy's just telling us that he was moving all his stuff from Marja to Lashkar Gah, and he didn't have room in his car for his, for his little girl. No, not the trunk, for his little girl. She was alive. He didn't have room for his little girl in the mm-hmm. car. And this is like, but it's a girl, right? So again, little girl in the car. So he just, he had put her in the trunk because he was planning on coming back later that day to get her. Mm-hmm. But then he got too tired. So he stayed in Lashkar and She died from the elements. Like it was just too cold, right? And so you're looking at this dude. And, oh, yeah, it's and, a different and world. You see what I'm saying? So, like, yeah. I've got daughters, right? Yeah, yeah. I've got a wife. I don't look at, like, people that they're worth different values for different things. Right. But that's part of their society. So, like, for me, morally, that's not how I came up. Mm-hmm. So I can I can tell you that, you know, I probably had a couple little PTSD, you know, symptoms from that or because it was comprehending it. I just don't, I don't understand yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's what I'm getting at. So I truly believe, like, a lot of the PTSD that that uh, people deal with is from ignorance. And I don't mean that in a derogatory right. way. I just mean you don't, you cannot compare it to how you were, your moral foundation, right? It goes, it's sacrosanct against that. So basically for you to be able to understand that, you would have to rewrite how you were brought up. Your, rewrite your, your foundation, entire foundation. Which yep. is a big rug pull, right? Which leads me to another thing is why a lot of people have trouble when they get out of the Marine Corps transitioning because they've their identity is a Marine. Mm-hmm. I'm a Marine, mm-hmm. right? You're mm-hmm. still wearing the jacket. You know what I'm saying? I'm a Marine. Well, now you're not a Marine. Well, you are. You're retired, right? Or you're you're just not active duty. Or former, yeah. So what are you going to do now? Like, hey, man, that's a chapter in your book, dude. Don't close that book. Mm-hmm. Like, you're not done yet. you got plenty of life to live. Like, go find what you want to do and do it. But that transition period is where they get screwed out of that mm-hmm. because it's like, I don't know what I want to be when I grow up. It's like... It's like not knowing what you're going to do when you graduate high school, and now you've got six months left, and you're like, strut, like oh, I guess I'm just going to do this because you feel like you don't have options or you, mm-hmm. you're not set up for success mm-hmm. to transition. Anyway, so I, I truly believe that that's, uh, you know, it's all. I think the moral certain. injury is, um, and we talk about we talk about civilian PTSD. I talk about that on a recording we did with um, Robert, her, my buddy Shrek, mm-hmm. the painter, yeah. Robert. And uh, he, um, you know, there's a lot of things that can bring PTS symptoms or PTSD. Call it, you know, if it's if it's if it's an issue, um, and most of it is not the military. No, most of it is first responders, firefighters, things of that nature. They have more per capita than we ever did, yep. and ever and and ever will have, hopefully. But people forget about that. So then, like, yeah. take those cops and firefighters, and then they're reservists and they deploy. Now you got multiple different things going on that you're dealing with. Mm-hmm. You know, take take a teacher that was involved in one of these school stabbing shootings, whatever right. that we've had here recently. Like these people, those instances will change them for sure. Mm-hmm. But like you said, it doesn't have to define the rest of your life. No, but it's a we, moral, it's a moral dilemma. And right? now the That's, moral dilemma, I believe, is is worse than 
for me, it was it was harder than any of them. Right. Calling them calling a HIMAR in on a on a on a sniper and find out that there's you know twelve other people in there. Right. And then you don't understand it because they don't care. Right. You know, right. or or things like that, or or like uh, some HIMAR or or other rocket incidents in Marja had damaged this one kid and he got burned up real bad. Well, his dad carried him, you know, up to um, Hanson after Hanson was established to yeah. go to the RAS and. The kids, um, like b- between his knee and his ankle, just slid down like a tube sock on his mm-hmm. bone because it was so fr- burned. Yeah. Right, the, it was real bad. Both yeah. legs just looked like toothpicks. Yeah. Right, no meat on them. And his dad wanted ten grand. Right, ten grand made it go away. Right, and it's like, and then when you know that, it's like, what? If right. that was my baby, like I, I'd well, try to blow all of you up. Right, like, you know what I mean. It's not a money. <laughs> There's never would be a money, a dollar amount, a money quantity that you could offer me for you, f- right. for you hurting my family. Right. That's you know what I mean. It's weird. Yeah, we had we had a, a kid that ended up. He was going to be in a wheelchair. Um, I can't remember if he lost his legs or if it just if they just became unusable. Mm-hmm. But his mm-hmm. dad basically, while we're triaging him, said, "Hey, just let him die. He's of no use to me in Afghanistan." Yeah, that's what he said. Like he's he'll no, be nothing but a burden to me now. He's nothing but a burden. I will make another one, but. Not concerned about the qual like the his child, you know what I mean? Like it's just so odd to see that. It's so odd to us in the West, well, that's but I'm, for them who since biblical times have been playing this same game, that exactly my that's point. just the way. Yeah. So again, you know, it goes to that mortal. But I will tell you the the big difference in PTSD I think between military and civilians is in the military, right? You go out on a patrol, you know, you have a shitty situation, you're triaging dudes, you're cows of vacuum, you go back, guess what? You're rest, resting, refitting, and you know you got to go out on that same patrol later that day or, or the next day. Whereas in the civilian world, when you get that, that trauma for first responders, a lot of times you get put on the bench. Like, hey, you got to go see the wizard. Hey, you got to go get medically cleared. Hey, you got to do this. So they have a lot better steps in place. Like... Do we have battlefield psychologists in the Marine Corps that get deployed with forward units? No. Nope. Why? Don't know. Do you see what I'm saying? Like, there's there would be, uh, I think, a lot of ways that we could mitigate a lot of this stuff. Um, luckily, like EOD, we did a, a bit of a pilot program for us. So when we deploy, when we come back, we don't fly straight back to the States. We were flying into Germany, and we do, like, a little three- to five-day uh, stint where we would do um, a bunch of classes uh, just basically, you know, like gear sure, down classes, like gear down classes. Same thing that, that the that the SF community does, right? Mm-hmm. But we were seeing because, like, probably percentage wise, we see more death and like dismemberment than any other, For like, sure. you know, regular dude, uh, other than maybe um, uh, mortuary affairs, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but we see all of that. So again, like, I got a good buddy of mine, Adam. Uh, he, when he his first deployment with EOD, we went into Sangin. And his first, like, 14 calls as an EOD guy were all, like, post-blasts on Marines getting yeah. blown up. Yeah. So Some imagine unit imagine that, right? You are the, you're the new guy. You're Nick the new guy. And the first 14 calls you go on aren't like, hey, disarming this or doing that. You're literally bagging up Marines. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So he's still in. He's a great dude. But, you know, in the back of my mind, I always think about stuff like that. Like, yeah. man, like... What would his life look like a little bit different, you know, if that wouldn't have been that case, right? Mm-hmm. But it is, mm-hmm. and you just got to deal with it. So, I think too, um, like in the I, one of our issues is that I think it's almost like incentivized to be a victim. 
in 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 the service right now and it's like and maybe not maybe i'm wrong but it's like it feel like especially after you know coming home and and the the big telltale thing was like h kaya when the h kaya situation happened you seen a bunch of dudes that were dudes that were there with you that you know did work with you and that like victimizing themselves and i wonder how much of that victim culture is is taking you know taking hooks or is it contagious even so you know i don't even think like we look at it like it's victim culture but how about this how about it's socialized behavior like you're told what you have on your chest is it makes you who you are in the marine corps in some regards right like not everybody Mm -hmm. buys into that Mm -hmm. but if you don't have a purple heart or you don't have a combat action ribbon or you don't have deployment ribbons you're nobody Mm -hmm. compared to this guy over here right and so it goes back to that culture like if like when I was in the Canadian military, the day that I graduated Canadian military, like my ba- like boot camp and stuff like that, is mm-hmm. the day that everybody started treating me as a man and with respect, right? Not that I wasn't before that, but what I mean is in the military, you are, you are treated with respect. So even me as a private, talking to a regimental sergeant major or a colonel or general, whatever, there was respect both ways, right? Mm-hmm. We don't really have that in the Marine Corps no. in some regards. It's one, it's directional. It's one way, right? And so you're constantly looking for that weakness in some regards, right? You want to know why you're better or worse than your, than your peer or that guy that's in charge of you or the guy that's underneath you. And we validate that different ways. And so like prime example, right? You graduate boot camp and everybody's like, well, you're not a Marine. You've never been to the fleet. Then you get to the fleet and you're like, well, you're in the fleet. But, and then looking at your stuff, well, you've never been to Iraq. Then you go to Iraq. Well, you've been to Iraq, but haven't been to Afghanistan. Oh, you've been to Iraq and Afghanistan? Well, you weren't a drill instructor. Boot. You know, yeah, and they, yeah. and there's, you're constantly chasing this shit. Like, bro, I'm not competing with you. You know what I mean? Like, I get like, hey, be proud of who you are and where you come from. Mm-hmm. But that that's not me. And you shouldn't be judging me because of it. Right. Do you know what I mean? Right. Like, um, and so I, I see that. And so what I'm getting at, like back to the victim culture, I don't, I think it's ingrained in this, in some regards. And again, here's the thing. If you're that motor T operator, right? And you, you, your, your view of war is this. It's going to be different than an infantry guy. It's going to be different than an air wing guy. It's going to be different, whatever. So you know that to be competitive in your MOS, there's certain criteria that you want to hit, whether it's a B billet, whether it's a deployment, whether mm-hmm. it's this or that. Mm-hmm. Everything else above and beyond that could be more beneficial, right? Like a combat action ribbon or a purple heart or any of this. Well, you get blown up in your vehicle, and as shitty as that is, if you come out whole and you're really not that injured, and now you start playing the victim, I don't even think that's playing the victim. I think that's just looking around like, hey, look at me. Like, I'm part of the club now. Mm. Do you know what I mean? And you're looking for a different a different piece of respect. Does that make sense? Like a different validation? Like a different validation. That's all it is. So it's like, yeah, I'm part of the club now. Like, there's certain clubs I don't ever want to be part of. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And, and so, but we, we put so much um, honor in being in some of those clubs that I think that really... Misplaced some honor. Exactly. And I think people get led down that path because they're naive about what pride is mm. or what honor is or, or things like that. Right? I agree I, with you. I was just talking to um, one of the senior gunners, if not the senior gunner in the Marine Corps, Gunner LaRose, and he said the way that he thinks that, you know, it was a longer conversation but kind of boiled down to the same tip mm-hmm. was the way that we fix that is pride, pay, and prestige in the infantry units. He said, if you're never recognized as anybody any different than um, the admin clerk, Where's your pride? Where's your swelling pride going to come from? And your, uh, like, you're a spirited core to be that thing that is better. Right. If we don't 
and if we don't pay you better, because you're clearly in more danger, you clearly work harder, you clearly go to the field, you're clearly doing these things, but you get paid the same as them. And then the prestige of being in that element. So I don't know if that's a badge or, you know, an insignia or something, but he said he thinks if they can tackle the pride, prestige, and pay issue, that that will help retain this new force design yeah, guy. But so I, I, I agree with that, but I think that's got to be done across MOSs. I think so, too. Not just grunts. You know what I'm saying? And Because I'll tell you this. Like, you know, I started out as a mechanic, went EOD. And EOD, I just call myself a super pogue. Like, people are like, oh, you're not a pogue. Or, like, dude, I'm a pogue, but I'm a super pogue. Like, I'm going to sleep in a bed because I'm going to order myself a bed. And I'm going to put it in my hooch. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I'm going to order some of this. And I'm going to be eating steak and, and rice every day. Like, there's just certain things that come with, with you know, our community that, that are, you know, I love. But um, at the same time... I'll tell you what, there is nothing that impresses me more than somebody that's in support and is a rock star. Yeah, And dude. you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Like, you hit that mechanic, you hit that admin dude, you hit... Calm like, guy. Pays, calm, whatever it is. You go to them, and they're all about their bah, job. Bah, bah, they're, right. They're, the, they're like the premier dude of their MOS. And what's sad is, mm-hmm. a lot of those dudes end up going administrative, right? They go to first sergeant and sergeant major because they understand that that's going to... They're going to pay is going to increase all that like they're they, it's fast tracking Speed, their, yep. it's fast tracking their their um their thing and maybe they don't you know they're going to tap out and it's going to be a clog of five years or ten years to get a promotion yeah you know what i mean so we, we kind of do a disservice there but there's nothing that impresses me more especially being in combat that you can pick up a phone and know no matter who they are as a marine they're going to take pride in their job and they're going to get it done and you don't have to supervise them mm. right like hey man i'm hurting on this can you make it happen? Don't worry about it, bro. I got you. Watch hang how up fast I can do yeah, this. Yeah, hang up the phone and it's on a bird the next day or whatever it is, right? And so I've always like that. That is the one thing uh, in the Marine Corps that I that I pride myself on is being a part of those people mm. of like no matter you know the climber place, it's happening. Mm. And if you call me and you need something, I'm dropping everything and I'm getting it done. Yeah, and that's your personal brand. Yeah, like, absolutely. for your life, everybody doesn't have that. Absolutely, even every Marine doesn't have that, but. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, all right, so coming back to, um, I mean, we've talked about a lot of things right now, but I want to kind of fast forward you co- to your exit of the Marine Corps. And at this point, you have like, what, a master's degree? Did you get your master's or did you start your PhD in the Corps? Yeah, so both. Um, what's funny, you know, again, you know, a lot moved into EOD. EOD, absolutely great. Um, you know, when we deploy, we're depending on where you're at, but we live pretty, pretty austere, right? Like I went on deployments where we didn't have internet, you know, we had a whipple up at some point, but you know, it wouldn't download or upload quick enough mm-hmm. that I was doing my, um, was I doing my master's degree at the time? I, I ended up getting, so it took me like 19 years to get my bachelor's, right? And then I got my master's and I got my PhD, but like I said, 19 years. So I started out doing, um, when I was still, uh, when I first moved down to Canada or from Canada, I was doing correspondence, so it was like paperwork they'd send you mm-hmm. to do this. And so, you know, I'm just grinding away at courses. Well, I joined the, the Marine Corps, and one of the big benefits is obviously tuition assistance yep. and, like, free education. So, like, literally, you know, I'm in Okinawa trying to get promoted quick. Mm-hmm. And I'm literally, my goal was to do every MCT known to man, right? MCI. MCI, I'm yeah, sorry, yeah, MCI. Yeah, yeah. So I'm sitting there, all my friends are, like, going to the gym or they're, like, playing Xbox Party. or drinking. Yeah. And I'm like, I'll be there in a minute. And I'd, like, bang out an M- M- MCI, right? I'm pretty smart, so it's, it really was no big deal. And in fact, a lot of them I'd go in there, and because they're um, bubble tests, yep. you've got a 50-50 chance 
Well, once you narrow it down to two questions, right? So you got four answers, narrow it down to two answers, you got a 50-50. So I would take them cold. I wouldn't even read some of the manuals. I'm like, this is a no-brainer to me. Like, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. being in the infantry, I'll, you know, do whatever it was, smalls or some bullshit. Like, okay. So I'm banging them out. So I ended up doing like 60 or 70 MCIs while I was in Okinawa. And then I'm like, oh, you get you give me points for promotion if I do college? Roger. Yeah, so I'm like, all right, well, let's do the college thing. So I started doing that. Anyway. Uh, what was your bachelor's in? My bachelor's was in um, Homeland Security. Okay, and then right? your master's. So I went, was yeah, I went through AMU, American Military University, which are great. You know, if you're in the in the service, I think they're phenomenal, mm-hmm. uh, real easy to work with. But mm-hmm. went and did that, did my bachelor's, uh, was winding up my bachelor's while we were in Marja. So I always felt bad because I'd have to patrol a lot of times by truck down to the the base that had internet to download my homework. Then I'd go back, I'd do all my homework, then take it back and upload and then download the next assignments, right? And this is all what we're doing, missions. So I'd feel really bad. Like, I'd always try to coordinate it and make it, like, uh, while we were doing something, I'd just hitch a ride with, you know, QRF or whoever else was going down there, and we'd be able to do that. And a lot of times I was able, because we were so um, IED heavy, a lot of the evidence, I had to go turn it into the lap down there. And so I would just, like, you know, kind of work it as we were doing that, uh, which made were it convenient. Your, were your AMU instructors pretty flexible with you while you were deployed? Yeah, absolutely. And so that's what I, you know, as long as you're pro, like to me, now that I'm a, I am a college professor now, but uh, the big thing is as long as you're proactive about it, right? Like mm-hmm. if you, oh, hey man, sorry, I didn't get that assignment in two yeah, weeks yeah. ago, I was on, on a, I was on a patrol versus, hey man, I'm not going to be around for the next two weeks. Uh, I may or may not be on the internet. I'll try to get everything in prior to me leaving. But if I don't, hey, just let you know. They were always cool about that. Yeah. I mean, I, my recommendation is I went to AMU you. because of you. You kind of mentored yeah. me through who I should go through. End up doing Homeland Security. Probably had some of the same instructors. Maybe not. They were amazing. Like, yeah. for me. Yeah. They were very flexible. And I had the benefit of picking your brain like, hey, you've already had this degree through this school. What right. do you recommend? And you were able to set me up. Yeah. But I didn't know you did that Marja. I didn't know that's where you were doing that. Oh, yeah, dude. Like, and so that's what's funny. Like, I'd have a lot of dudes. And I, I'm a huge dude for education, right? Like, so, you know, we're in Marja. And all my peers, like, I'm trying to outshine you, dude. Like, I'm mm-hmm. com- I'm competitive as shit. I might not tell you that to your face, but I am. Like, mm-hmm. that's that's what I'm doing. I'm looking at you going, I'm not going to kick you down the ladder, but I'm going to I'm gonna run some circles around you. And, I, you know, I was 10 years, 15 years older than most of my peers. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I want to make sure I'm in shape. You know, I don't want to be that guy getting embarrassed. I'm going to make sure that I, my brain's heavier than your brain. You know, all mm-hmm. that stuff. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, you know, we're in these, you know, epic gun battles and, and IED, you know, exploitation things and stuff like that. And rather than go back and chill at the, you know, play Xbox and eat and shout, whatever, I'm doing homework. You know, that's that's uh, probably one of the reasons why I stayed sane. You know, it gave me something yeah. to focus on. Yeah. Um, but, you know, after that, I, I just rolled right into my master's degree. So I was doing my master's degree. I finished up my master's degree on my last deployment to Sangin. Um, and then business? I had to do... Was that business? So I got my master's in um, national security. So okay. I got my okay. BA, Bachelor of Arts in Homeland Security, na- uh, master's in national security. And then uh, when I was going out through Wounded Warrior Battalion, I was looking at becoming a college professor. I thought that'd be a great, great gig, right? Mm-hmm. But I want to do online exclusive. That way, you know, it doesn't matter where I live. I can work from home. I can set my own hours, you know, things like that, depending on the school. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So that was my gig. Well, luckily... Uh, I had given my uh, GI bill to my daughter for the most part, and she became a doctor herself. She's a veterinarian. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I kind of used up a lot of the benefits. Well, I didn't think I'd need more education. I'd already finished my master's on tuition assistance. And I started looking at it, and I couldn't get hired on with just my master's. 
So I went and talked to Voc Rehab, Vocational Rehab, and they're like, uh, we don't even know if that's possible. Like, you want your what? I'm like, my doctorate, like PhD, like, let's go. And so it took a while because it, it was like one of those things that nobody was could, you know, figure out whether it would be authorized or not authorized. So I had to do all the legwork, right? I'm like, look, so I'm pulling up uh, BLS, the Bureau of Labor Statistics. I'm like, check this out. This is how much money I could make. This is the job field. This is, uh, you know, the potential growth for that, that industry, things like that. Here's all my, all the places I've applied with my master's degree. Here's a couple letters that came back and said, hey, it's got to be a terminal degree. Uh, you know, air, you know, ipso facto, therefore I should be able to, if I got my PhD, I should be a no brainer to hire. Right. <coughs> Excuse me. And so that's what ended up happening. So I was in voc rehab. I was still, um, going through wounded warrior battalion and they approved me. So I started doing my PhD program before I uh, transitioned out of the Marine Corps, mm-hmm. continued on with it. Uh, when I got out of the Marine Corps and then wrapped it up, did my dissertation defense a couple years ago. And started applying, became an online professor. So now I just do consulting for certain people, certain things, entities, and uh, do college professor, professorizing. Professing? And that's college that's professing? Professorizing. 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 <laughs> yeah. It's a legit term. Um, you like it, though? It. You like it? I do and I don't. So I got my PhD. I got my, right? You earned it? Yeah, I got it. G-O-T. Got, got it. it. I, uh, I like it. In, so it's my PhD is in business administration for organizational leadership and homeland security. So what I really wanted was that leadership piece, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> uh, just because, you know, I felt a, there was such a big difference between the Canadian military and Marine Corps in certain aspects of leadership that I really wanted to nail down mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. what was going on with that, right? And so I think I kind of did that in some regard. But a lot of the leadership um, courses that I did, it's more like... A, HR stuff. Mm-hmm. I shouldn't say HR stuff, but like if you were in a you know Fortune 500 company, you're the C-suite or executive level of this. Like, what's corporate social responsibility and things like that, right? So there's, but a lot of that again plays into uh, leadership, right? How mm-hmm. you lead your co- company and stuff like that. So that's mm-hmm. that's what I did. Um, now I just you know online schools for the most part. I just teach um, like. Homeland Security, Emergency Disaster Management, mm-hmm, or, mm-hmm. or intelligence, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. different intelligence factions. So, like Fusion, do you cover cover Fusion? Like the Fusion Centers? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, NCTC, really all that, that stuff. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of information out there. Uh, but again, you know, I, I'm so um, I don't want to say I'm the I'm the like a, the odd man out because that's not what it is. But a lot of people like the traditional course or the the uh, avenue of approach for that is to have a criminal justice degree yep, and you yep. carry on stuff. I don't have a criminal justice background, but I can tell you anything about being outside of America and doing stuff. You mm-hmm, know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like exploitation, sense of sight exploitation, yep, yep. intelligence cycles, things like that. And I give you that military perspective. So I think a lot of the uh, students really enjoy that because a lot of them say are... It probably po- cuts out some of like the monotony of having a regular criminal justice suit and tie uh, you know, professor that's done it tenured. Well, absolutely. And not only that, a lot of them are... Um, in the industry, so a lot mm-hmm. of police, police, firefighters, and things like that. So they already understand how that system works. Mm-hmm. They're looking for an edge, so they want to understand like yep, a better right. understanding of NIMS, like National Incident Management System, or some other thing. Um, and I can kind of give them that that uh, foresight. And you know, we do a lot of t- study on terrorism, mm-hmm. which you know I've been studying for years and years and years, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, especially being in the military, like we have a totally different view on terrorism. So I, I do. My, my, I think my one of the things I like to do is really get them to think. I don't like to like yep. just speak and have them uh, listen to me or, or, or try whatever. to give you what you want. 
give me what I want. I really try to open their eyes. So, you know, I do a lot of things on, uh, on just perception, right? Like how the media portrays things. Cause a lot of it's current events. And mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. then you gotta, you get them really asking questions like the Ukraine, right? And I'm not going to pick on the Ukraine too bad, but when you start seeing sensationalized articles about how farmers are stealing tanks, right? <clears throat> and then, Hey, put up your hand and ask some questions. Like, hang on a second. What's the towing capacity on a tractor? Right. <laughs> How much does a tank weigh? Are you telling me that tractor is towing a tank right now? Mm-hmm. Are you retarded? Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like, well, so it was a, it's a huge propaganda campaign. It, absolutely, like absolutely. Me, like they're. I don't even believe anything I hear anymore from the ghost to Key to rattle the Snake Island. A lot of their propaganda campaigns were completely bullshit. I liked them. I yeah. like what they did. It yeah. makes sense to me why each side is doing what they're doing. Right. You know controlling their populations and right. uh, putting fear into the, their enemies and things of this nature. But as you sit on the sidelines after doing it for 20 years, you don't have a clue what's real anymore. Like, nah, I don't know. Well, right. That, and that's, that, that could be a simulator with the technology we have, and it might not even be really going on. Well, so But they're passing it off as, you know. My thing is, is like whenever anything starts to pop off or like when you first start seeing it in the news, really start really get a really broad look of really what's going on so if you look at ukraine as an example right mm-hmm. we start getting all this oh ukraine blah 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 you know russia's invading you know doing all this stuff and and you know they use these power words right mm-hmm. like invading mm-hmm. well if you back it up and like look at some of the the um the back pieces of that is that putin has been uh petitioning the un to go in there and help out the people in donbass for years mm-hmm. and they haven't and so whatever the red mark the red line in the sand was for Putin, he's already tried all the avenues that he possibly can before he went in mm-hmm. to Donbass. And yeah, they went, don't publicize that. And they don't publicize that. That's what I'm getting at. So there is a lot of propaganda. But if you look at things like, you know, so I start like just grabbing as much stuff before they start trying to hide it. Because people start, once people start asking questions, then shit starts disappearing off the internet. Mm-hmm. That's that's where I I'm like, oh, this is happening for sure. Yeah, just like why is that disappearing? That was there two days ago. Why is it not there now? Right? It's because they're trying to control the narrative. Right. Mm-hmm. And so you look at things like they were showing the Russians invading, and then they were like making jokes about how inferior the Russian troops were and stuff like that. And then I'm looking at the pictures, and I'm like, hang on a second. Like I'm not I'm not big into like what the Russians currently have in their arsenal and stuff like that. But that dude's wearing stuff that I was wearing back in the 90s yeah, in Canada, like yeah. Cold War or shit, you know, like leftovers from the Cold War. I know for a fact Russia doesn't wear that shit no more. So where are these pictures really from? Where are these videos really yeah. from? Do you see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And then sure shit, stuff starts disappearing, doing this and doing that. And so there's, there's just so many like, <clears throat> whenever I start looking at stuff like that, I always have more questions than I do answers. Mm-hmm. And then the people that want to shout down your questions... Those are the people trying to control the narrative, right? Mm-hmm. So why I, I've got a question. Like, why are you shouting at me about a question? Like, just answer the question. Like, I don't you don't need to emotionally base your your argument on that. Just answer the question. If you don't know, you don't know, and we'll figure it out together. Don't tell me that I shouldn't ask that question. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so that's that's where I go with that. So again, as an instructor, that's kind of where I go with a lot of that. And you know, we covered I covered down on like uh, terrorist attacks in Mumbai, the uh, Beltway sniper, things like that. And again, we talk about all these power words like sniper, right? Like to me, we were in the military. Sniper means something. Mm-hmm. Like you were a school trained, right? Gun toting motherfucker. Like you are a hunter of men. That's killer, what you are. Killer hunter, gunman. Hunter a gunman, right? You're a hog. And you've gone through some serious training, right? Telling me, like with the, the DC sniper, most of his shots were within 100 meters 
uh, that's basic rifle call shit for anybody in any military. That's yeah. closer. Why are you calling him a sniper? <laughs> was it because of the he had a black gun with an EOTech on it? Well, that's not even magnified, bro. That's not a sniper rifle. That's not a, yeah, you see what I'm saying? So I, I, it infuriates me in some regard, but I get, you know, I'm but, part of the system I mean, now, but I want them to think. I want them Those to are power words that are designed to strike fear into their exactly, audience. That's exactly. why they use them. Exactly, and if you look at like, even look at um, what was that juicy small a, right? Is what I call him, juicy <laughs> small juicy, old juicy. You look at that incident, and it's come out that it is absolutely fabricated and shit. But what did they base off of juicy small a? They put in new b- bills and orders about racism, right? So they've already approved. Regardless, new that bills. it came out that he now it's did or did not, not retra- have this done to right. him. They're not retracting those bills. Mm-hmm. You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So again, that narrative is there for a reason or by design. And what is that narrative there for? Right? Mm-hmm. It's to control population through control something. thought processes. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. So that's where I go with that. But anyway, so that's what I do now. College professor for the most part. Um, coach lacrosse. That's always fun. We should be going to the state champs this year. I think. Um, How much purpose do you find coaching? I love it. So, um, one of the things, like when I was in the in the uh, military, I was gone so much, right? Like a lot of us are. And I had a son at home that was, you know, basically, you know, my wife was raising him, and he would the only interaction he had with dudes was when he was going to these sporting events mm-hmm. and getting coached and doing this. And some of them were great, and some of them were not great. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, when I started transitioning out. Um, you know, as it went to Warbytown, I'm like, you know what? Like, I want to give back. Like, there's so many dudes that aren't here and aren't around. Like, let me do something do something for, for the kids, yeah. right? And mm-hmm. so that's kind of how I started out. Doing it, I mean, obviously, it was good for me, too. But um, it gives me a little bit of purpose, right? Like, I yeah. want these kids to do well in life. It's not just, like, to me, the sport is the vessel. I never played lacrosse, yeah, neither, right? Neither. Ne- never played it. But that's what I'm coaching now. But I've coached basketball, soccer, golf, and uh, never played never played golf or, I mean, soccer, uh, but had two undefeated teams. Do you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I just, I really like that aspect of it. So, you know, to me, it's all about team, like all the stuff you learn in the military, right? Teamwork and developing. diversity and developing and like, hey, put what you put into practice, you're going to get out on the game field, right? Mm-hmm. And so we really do a lot of uh, that stuff, you know, just keeping positive vibes. Like, don't like, just, so what if so-and-so missed a pass? Like, don't mm-hmm. get down on him. Go over there and let him know you got his back. Mm-hmm. Things like that. Like, that you see... A lot of it comes from the battlefield, right? Like you see dudes' wheels falling apart, and you're like, "Bro, I like this isn't about me and you getting along anymore. This is about life or death. Like yep. we need to get the wheel back on your your wagon there because I don't want to have to carry you out of here, right? And I don't want to have to rely on you when I'm faced this way and you're faced that way. And now you know and what I mean. You're not all the way home, and you're not. Yep. All, yeah. So again, man, it, there's just so much that goes into that. So trying to get that across to the kids. And then the other thing, right? Like everything's drama these days. Like mm. it's just all, and you're looking at the dude. Like, like my first question is like when people are freaking out, is like, hang on a sec. Is anybody dead? Yeah. Is anybody did missing kill, a limb? Did it kill you though? Yeah. Is anybody missing a limb? No. Then relax. Everything else is just superficial. Like I get that you want to go so and so and somebody else's date. You know what? It doesn't matter what it is, bro. Take a couple of deep breaths. We got this. You know, mm-hmm. you don't have to worry. But mm-hmm. we're not in it, right? Mm-hmm. And so just take that step back and take a breath and and do that. But I do. I really do like coaching. I think there's a lot that come. Uh, so much importance. Um, learning how to be a team player, learning how to be selfless, maybe for the first time in some of these kids' lives. They're thinking about a team before they're thinking about their own glory or their own position or their own, um, you know, lot in life. And then you know what I love about coaching. I coach both the eight U softball right now and eight U baseball. So I coach Brantley's team and Jane's team, 
and then Leslie kind of helps mm-hmm. out with Kenley's team. And it's like, I find great purpose in it because, you know, I don't always get kids that have the best life. I don't right. always get that. Right. You know, sometimes it's like I get these kids that don't have it very good and I'm able to take, you know, whatever it is, that hour, hour and a half that day and try to imprint on them. Hey, it's okay. It's okay where you come from. Got you. Why you're here, you're safe. Right. And we're going to learn these things and we're going to be a team and we're going to, you know, practice that. And I get a lot, like I get a heart swell from all that. Um, but it's just as equally good and important for those kids, especially, you know, uh, only child, in my opinion, you have an only child is different than having a child that grew up with siblings, in my opinion, because you, that's a team already, that little team of siblings that you're right. learning to follow or you're learning to lead. And then, so when I get only children, that's one of my favorite people to coach is because a lot of it's just brand new to them, yeah. like following or leading or anything is just brand new, you know? And so I, I, I love uh, I love that you're doing that and giving back in that way, and like you're really good at it. Well, uh, um, maturity wise, and you've you've coached multiple sports, multiple teams, and you've right. kind of honed in on how to affect and impact. Well, I, I try not to t- take anything personal either. Like you know, mm-hmm. some of it's professional, obviously, but like little things, like just recalibrating the way parents look at things. Like I'll never forget, uh, I was coaching uh, a team. I think there were twelve of you at the time, and uh, we had a it was lacrosse. We had a little guy, like, you know, it would be like, hey, man, everybody needs to go home and practice. Like, if you can't pass and catch, that's basic skills. You know, we've been working on that for however long. Now we got to work on team stuff. Mm-hmm. If you lack in that, you need to go home and work on it. Like, that's that's homework, bro. Like, yeah. you need to do that. And so, you know, I had this kid coming up to, coming up to practice, and uh, a couple of guys, you know, every time they throw him the ball, he'd just drop it, right? Or he'd go to pass it back to him, and it would be off. Yeah. Well, we ain't going to win any games. We're not, you know, like – Go home and practice. And so his mom uh, actually wrote the president of the uh, the league, not the league of my uh, association at the time, and was basically complaining that her son was being bullied at my practices. And I was like, so I get this, like, email from this the president. I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, And so just the difference in perception, right? Like, you say the word bully. Well, of course, that's a huge red flag for me. I'm like, hang on a second. Is somebody getting beat up? Is somebody getting a wedgie? Is somebody getting their food, like their lunch money stolen? Is somebody, did somebody steal their shoes? You know, Mm -hmm. are they pushing them around? Is it like physical stuff? And it wasn't that. It was that he had asked, well, I need you to pass me the ball. And they were like, you can't catch the ball. Like, I'm not going to pass to you until you catch a ball. So here you have a 12-year-old boy telling another 12-year-old boy, like, the truth. Like, I'm not passing you the ball because you can't catch it. Like, go home and practice. That's not bullying. That's one kid giving another kid some positive feedback. Like, change the situation, bro. Like, mm-hmm. I'm all about passing you the ball, but you need to be able to catch it first. Mm-hmm. So step one, fix yourself, right? And so, you know, I had to have this conversation with the president, and she was, like, had no... She just thought she was going to tell me, like, hey, you need to go ahead and apologize and, you know, address the situation or whatever. So I addressed her, like, hey, you need to change your definition of bullying. Like, that's not bullying it at all. Mm-hmm. It's two mm-hmm. kids. That's one kid being honest with another kid. Like, there's no... Like, that's what we need in society, yeah. not this politically correct, like, I'm going to... Dance around the truth right, and tell dance you around you're the truth. really good. Yeah. <coughs> so, you know, I remember having the conversation with the mom, and she... I don't even think she said anything. She just looked at me like like nobody had ever done that or explained mm-hmm. something to her. And I wasn't mm-hmm. being an ass about it. I was just being like, hey, this is, like, it's the team dynamic. These are dudes, right? I get that, that you're a woman and a mom and stuff like that, and you want to look out for your kid. I get that. But my job as a coach is to make sure that we have cohesion. And guess what? They're not wrong. Like, 
they're they're telling it how they see it. Just because you don't like their perception, yeah, doesn't mean that you should try to uh, insert yourself and take care. Yeah, of the situation, and like the right? next question is is like, hey mom, how many how many minutes or hours are you putting in at home trying to make sure he can catch and and, and facilitate his learning? Exactly. Are you are you because like. <coughs> not trying to toot my own horn i learned this from other coaches watching other coaches through the years but my very first meeting with my parents of any team doesn't matter the organization is hey i'm going to give you 100 percent of me but i will know who is involved with their kids at home and who is not in one practice yeah because i give them homework hey this is what mary little mary lacked on today you know she lacked on her mechanics or her she lacked on her form or whatever and when little Mary comes back, if her parents did the homework and actually spent even 15 minutes a day going over it, I can tell. Right. When they come in and they can't catch the lacrosse ball or they can't squeeze their gloves shut just in warming up. Right. I know that you're not helping your child. Right. And guess what? I can't make your child a superstar. No worries. I can't make your child a superstar uh, in 90 minutes a day, twice a week for eight weeks. It's right. never, ever, ever going to happen. Right. And so I always highly encourage parents. Now, sometimes they don't have good parents that are going to go home and help them. Right. And, you know, I try to help focus on those kids. But at the same time, that kid needs to learn, too. Like, if you don't have the help, if this is something that's important to you, you're going to have to make the time and recruit the help from your friends or family right. or whatever that will help you. And, you know, so it's a little bit of burden back on the family and back on the kid, but it's a necessary one to hear those things. Yeah. I mean, you know, like if you tell little Sally that they're awesome their whole life and they're not, then they're going to grow up in this reality that they're <clears throat> awesome. And then they're going to have regular people that, Hey, you're not awesome. Right. Who told you this? It's like, you know, right. a perfect analogy would be like, um, the game show or, or the TV reality series, American Idol. Hundreds and thousands of these people line up to go audition for this show. Because they've been told they're awesome. Thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of them then become a laughing stock of the first six weeks of the season. Right. Because somebody lied to them. Like their entire inner circle lied to them about, you know, they weren't critical in trying to develop them. They lied to them. Like, yes, you should. You right. should go do that. You'll win. You know, and it's like, hmm. That's a telltale. I mean, that's a perfect example of why you yep. shouldn't do that because then they go up there, they have three professional vocal judges say, uh, you need to stop and we need to work on this. And then their entire dreams are shattered. Life is shattered the whole thing. And it's like, well, somebody would have told you the truth along the way. Right. You might've took a couple more years of practice or not done it, you know, whatever. So, so, I mean, I think in the beginning it's, it's very important to get the parents involved and stuff like that. Mm. But now I'm at the high school level, right? Yeah. So now, like, you can't always control it, it. Like, one of the big things is diet, right? Like, you see a lot of in-shape kids, out-of-shape kids. And mm -hmm. most mostly the out-of-shape kids are coming from out-of-shape parents, you know, because mm -hmm. it, a lot of it's diet. Well, you can't control that, right? You can't control, you don't have a driver's license. You can't drive, you know, if you're late to practice, things yep. like that. So at the high school level, it's a little different because yeah. now we can put it right on the kids. We, you hey, know, you're old enough to do this now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. like, we're having man-to-man -man conversations. Yeah, yeah. Like, you know, hey, coach, uh, how do I get more playtime? You want more playtime? I can tell you exactly how. Like, you're slow, dude. You're the like, you're not the slowest dude on the team. You're not the fastest dude on the team. But you want more playtime? You got to get quicker, right? Or you got to get a left hand. Like, you only got a right hand. Or hey, your your IQ is a little like you need to be able to see the whole field. Like every mm -hmm. time you get the mm -hmm. ball, if they bum rush you, you don't know what to do with it. You know, and so, but you give them that, and a lot of the kids are really receptive to that. You wouldn't think they are because it's not a derogatory thing. It's like hey. You've identified the problem. Like, you asked the question, which is great. That's you taking the first step, right? What's the problem? 
now that the problem's identified, I can help you with that, but you got to put in some time and some effort, mm-hmm. right? You're not looking to your parents now. Mm-hmm. This is on you. Mm-hmm. Like, this is man stuff. Like, you want to be a man? This is how you grow to be a man. Take responsibility for it. Grow it. And, and fix you the problem. You have the answer. It's a matter of action. Exactly. Now, mm-hmm. some of it, you know, obviously, you know, genetics and things like that. Sure. Like maybe you're never going to be that quick, but you can always be quicker. Like I've never... Or you can raise your IQ. I've, as an as a coach and as an athlete, I've never had a coach tell me you're too athletic. Yeah. I've never told a kid yeah. you're too athletic. Right. Hey, you're too fast and you're too strong. Like we don't need that right now. Like no fam, you know, like get in the gym, run, you know, get your get your skills up regardless of the sport. Like you, you don't, you don't, hamstring athletes yeah. so get more th- athletic if nothing else get more th- athletic yeah right? it can hurt nothing hurts nothing so yeah. that's why i always look at it but mm-hmm. well man we've been going for a while i appreciate uh i appreciate the time that you come out and i'm sure we'll do this again man yeah um but uh i know we got a hard out coming up but um i appreciate it matt you got anything parting shots thank you for coming on yeah absolutely yeah. enjoyed yeah. it it was, yeah, it was much fun appreciate it well, I appreciate and, uh, it. And me and you will get together uh, afterwards and figure something out. Yeah, sounds good. Uh, some fishing or something. So, um, cool. I appreciate you coming out, man. And uh, like I said at the beginning of the episode, guys, if you take anything away from this episode, anything away from any of the content that comes out on the page, please just share it out. Don't be selfish with the information. And, um, and we'll see you next time. Choices, not chances. Thank you. Thanks. Well, that concludes this episode. Thanks for listening to Choices, Not Chances podcast. Please share, like, and subscribe wherever you listen or watch our podcast. You can also follow us on social media at Choices Not Chances Podcast. Thanks, and have a great day. Louisiana Gun Shop, your firearm headquarters, specializing in concealed carry guns, ammo, and training. You can get your Louisiana permit with us. Also, a large selection of AR-15s, or if you are that build-it-yourself type of guy or gal. We have all the parts to build and customize your own AR-15. Glock, Sig, Taurus, Ruger. We have all the brands, both in the store or at louisianagunshop.com. Not too far. You're marking a building. Hit him. Yeah, that's good. That's a good shot. That's a money. Yeah. Money.